subatomic gigantic occasion was a sweep in Japan nation when along came a dude with an ultra attitude, a common Morado, the greatest kicker of Japan. And of all man. Last you short now, baby. To not talk big now, baby. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to a brand new episode of Kaiju Conversation. I'm your host, Elijah, and joining me, as always, my lovely co-host and editor. Hello, I am Rex. And we are back at it again for the fourth and final week of Takashi Yamazaki Month. It's coming to a close already. Yeah, honestly, this this month's went by really fast when it comes to this stuff. I feel like... Certainly compared to last month. <laughs> right, because let's see, it's August, so uh, July. Yeah, yeah, July was a little rough. July felt longer than it was. It was really it, weird. It really did, and I, I'd like to say that's because the quality of the films we were covering surprisingly were not up to par with what I remembered. <laughs> Gappa was our number two movie, for God's sake. I mean, hey, Gappa was a, a relatively nice surprise. This is true. This is very true. So, yes, we're back at it once more for the final episode of uh, Yamazaki Month. And... You know, it's 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 been a month. It's been a month, and there's no signs of us slowing down, truth be told. <laughs> but no, this is it's been a fun month, and uh, I'm excited to see where we go, and I'm excited to see what this conversation brings us. Mm. Now, before we get into the conversation, Rex, how have you been, buddy? Yeah, I've been pretty good for the most part. Anything like exciting happen or just kind of not particularly had some nice walks though <laughs> that's good good walk never hurt anybody yeah last recording you were a little cathartic. what it's very nice and cathartic cathartic yes hmm. okay i wouldn't I, I i wouldn't use that word but that's an interesting descriptive word so you're feeling better from last week. Last week you're a little, uh, <laughs> a little under the weather. If if That's I do say so myself, yeah. So nothing, nothing exciting that, like last week for you. Not really. Not that I can recall, at least. Okay. Okay. That's fair. A little, little slower of a week. That's I can, I can. Hey, I don't mind it. Yeah, I, I could, I could go for one of those. How about yourself? Um. It's been a little busy, a little busy, but I feel like I've been a little busy for a while now, truth be told, so I don't know if that's really anything <laughs> new. I mean, some some exciting news on some of the projects I've, I'm working on that I can't really talk about. Some exciting stuff has been happening, uh, happening behind uh, closed doors, which is, which is really nice. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I've been working as per, you know, typical... Um, nothing, nothing too exciting my way. Truth be told, it's just been a lot of working, a lot of prepping, a lot of, a lot of emails, a lot of text messages, right? A lot of writing. <laughs> so, 
Rex, since you've had a slow week, uh, what about your tokusatsu consumption or your J-horror or your kaiju? Well, in terms of tokusatsu, most of what I've watched this week it has been just Kamen Rider Agito. I'm okay. nearing the end of the show. I'm around episode 40, I think. Okay. And I also watched the Kamen Rider Agito A New Transformation special as well, which is pretty good, actually. One of the better, like, Heisei or post-Heisei Kamen Rider specials that I've seen. Okay. So, now you've seen V371 Kuga. Mm-hmm. And one more, right? A few more. <laughs> A few more? Well, where would this one... one go in, in your ranking is in the higher like levels is it lowers and middle mm, I would probably put it on the higher ish end of the scale not okay. quite the highest but like probably like at probably like at worst the top 10 I'd say somewhere in there for right okay. I've seen that's that's pretty good hmm it's it's a really solid series. There's really only been like one major misstep, I'd say, with some of the writing, where it kind of it's kind of backpedaled a bit on a major plot point, and mm-hmm. it's and it's only just starting to get back onto that. And I don't really understand why they backpedaled, other than just extending the show's length. I guess. Gotcha. It's really bizarre. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. See if I if I watched more Common Rider, I could comment, but I you know, you know me, stuck with Ultraman yeah. 80. Oh. Um, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Besides Agito, have you watched anything else or has that been I did see a movie starring Takeshi Kaneshiro from Returner, actually, though, <laughs> funnily enough. Oh, really? Yeah. Are you familiar with Wong Kar Wai? I'm not. Oh, well, he's a he's a Hong Kong auteur director, and he made... And I found out recently that Takeshi Kaneshiro is in, like, quite a few of his films. And mm-hmm. I recently watched Fallen Angels. <laughs> okay. Is that is that an action movie? No, it's it's kind of like a, it's like a romance drama film of like, I uh, I guess a crime film. I guess okay. It's it's kind of it's not one of those movies that really should be described. It's one of those movies that you gotta experience. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. Hmm. I don't think you can do the film justice by just describing it. Gotcha. <laughs> but yeah, outside of Agito, really, I've only watched one Tokusatsu movie that we will be discussing. Okay. A short period of time. Okay. But what about your end? Um. Okay, so did I tell you I watched Goemon? No, but I have heard of that film. Okay, so I saw Goemon before last recording and I forgot to write it down in my list. So I never, I never mentioned that I watched it. 
So this is me correcting my uh, my my little mistake. I watched Goemon, which is a adaptation of a manga, I believe. Um, it was directed by the same person who did Cashern, so it's really heavy in like blue screen and digital like filters and backgrounds and and particle effects and 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 it's it's not my preferred type of film i'm not a huge fan of stuff like that Mm -hmm. um the overtly like digital stuff that just it feels like you're watching an anime but it's all live action you know what i mean right so i mean it's basically japanese robin hood and, and like if I if I had to explain it in basic like layman terms, it's it's basically Japanese Robin Hood. I enjoyed it. Mm. I just didn't enjoy the the look. The look, right? Yeah. Besides that, I watched uh, the best alien knockoff ever, Alien versus Ninja. Oh yo. Which I found out was the first uh, Sushi Typhoon movie. I didn't know that. But I, I actually enjoyed it a lot more than I thought. Uh, you know, the Sushi Typhoon movies are kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, just based off of Hell Driver and uh, Yakuza Weapon that I've seen. I still need to see the Sion Sono film and uh, Dead Ball and Karate Robo Zamborger. And uh, I want to say, oh, and Mutant Girl Squad. I haven't seen those. So... I still have a little over half of the the Sushi Typhoon movies to to watch, but no, I I enjoyed Alien vs. Ninja a lot more than Hell Driver or Yakuza Weapon. Well, that's good. Uh, <laughs> speaking of Hell Driver, I watched two Hell Driver short films, Hell Driver Dakota and Catch Me If You Can, which are just like fifteen minute shorts that I found on the Blu-ray. They're I didn't okay. I didn't know either. There's still one more, but it's like a 20-minute short. Hey, um, they're not on my Blu-ray. They're hey. not? No, I'm looking at it right now because it's still right in front of me. Because my Blu-ray's got what, two versions of the film, the international and the longer Japanese version, a making of featurette, and then the trailer. Huh. No short films. Well, mine only has the uncut direct the uncut director's version. Huh. Which is probably the Japanese version. Right, yeah. Um yeah, I found out that all the Sushi Typhoon movies bar uh Alien vs. Ninja appear to have short films on them. So uh I watched two of the three for Helldriver. Short films? Huh? Does Coldfish have short films? I don't know. Um, I just know Alien vs. Ninja doesn't. I know Deadball has one, and I think Mutant Girl Squad has one. Um, Hell Driver has three. Yakuza Weapon has one that I need to watch. Um, Coldfish is the only one that I don't know because that one's escaped me more than any other one. Right. But, uh, they were okay. The two I watched, they're kind of boring. Mm-hmm. Hell Driver Dakota's like this love story for a zombie. And catch me if you can's like a stupid comedy with zombies. Uh, I see. Um, and then last but not least, well, maybe least, I don't know. I watched Funky Forest, the first contact. Oh. 
<sighs> I was digging it. It's an anthology movie that's like only it's only like four stories, but they're cut up into little vignettes and they're like they they alternate between the vignettes. You mm-hmm. have your three businesswomen uh enjoying hot spring. You have your school teacher, you have your guitar brothers. You have your uh, teacher and student romance. Uh-huh. And you have the school stories. Right. And I thought they were all going to, like, conclude in this big, like, open ending. And I was wrong. And honestly, I kind of, the it was, it left a lot to be desired. Um, according to the book essay I read, it's supposed to be a like I I I just didn't understand what the movie was going for, but I feel like it's just being weird to be weird. To be honest, um, I don't think Warped Forest the sequel is half as long because it's two and a half hours. Yeah, um, that's the main thing that puts me off watching Funky Forest. The runtime. Yeah, it was difficult to get past the first 15 minutes. Damn. Um, this was actually like my second or third time watching the movie. Trying to, at least. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like Warped Forest is about an hour shorter, so I might be able to get Less it. At least. Yeah, I might be able to sit through that a little bit better, but... Uh, I just... <laughs> I'm going to have to tr- really try to, like, watch it, because... Okay, at, at least, at least if nothing else, you got blessed with Hideaki Anno. I did, and honestly, Hideaki Anno's scenes were probably the best scenes in this movie. <laughs> well, I like the guitar, brother. That That whole section I liked a lot, too. But, yeah, I, it was a little disappointing. I'm just happy I got it over with, truth be told. <laughs> right. um, plus, I I'm I put it in because I've been watching way too many zombie movies lately. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, out of out of the last movies I've watched, like since uh, probably May. Like, I've seen, like, Zombie Self-Defense Force and Stacy Attack the Schoolgirl Zombies and Girls Gangsters and Zombies and Delta and Wild Zero and Miss Zombie and Gecko School Live Another Story and Hell Driver and then the Hell Driver Dakota and Catch Me If You Can. All of those are, are zombie movies. Mm-hmm. And even before that, just in, in this year, there was also, well, actually, that's it. I haven't, I didn't watch anything before that, um, that was zombies. Actually, I think Robo Geisha had zombies. I could be wrong. It, I'm probably wrong. But it's just, I'm, I'm just getting tired of zombie movies. Japanese zombie movies, I've basically watched everything. I've seen comedies. I've seen movies where they're aliens. I've seen movies where they're just typical zombies. I've seen movies where they're, like, enhanced and 
heroes and 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 all of that it's like i'm done i'm so done watching japanese zombie movies for a while like so done and he hasn't even gotten to the lust of the dead series well in my collection i still have all three lust of the deads i have i am a hero i have one more short film on the hell driver disc to watch i want to say there's like two or three more that I own. Oh, uh, Tokyo Living Dead Idol. And there might be one more. But I'm just, <laughs> I'm like, why? Like, enough with the zombie movies. <laughs> Looking on my list here, there's also, I don't own this one, but there's Attack Girl Swim Team versus the Undead. Um, Let's see here. Um, you think watching all these zombie movies will just has put you off the genre entirely? Of zombie movies or tokusatsu? Yeah, of zombie movies. Maybe. <laughs> I just, they're all the same. Like, there's nothing new in the zombie movies. That's pretty funny. I mean, it's it's on like I and I've watched like Night of the Living Dead. I've watched Dawn of the Dead. You haven't um, seen Train to Busan. I haven't seen Train to, Train to Busan. I haven't watched that, and I haven't watched. That. Huh? You should watch it. I know that and uh, the Evil Dead films. Oh, you haven't seen Evil Dead. I haven't seen any. I haven't seen Evil Dead or Evil Dead Two or Army of Darkness or the Evil Dead remake. I mean, they're not quite zombies, in, not in the... Yeah, they're not really zombies, per se. Then maybe I'll enjoy them, because... More de- that's more like a demonic possession type deal. Okay. Dead. See, that sounds a little better than Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. I'm tired of the Walking Dead. <laughs> like, it's, it's the same stuff, Rex. The de- they're dead. They're walking around. They grab people and eat their flesh. You watch the flesh get pulled off the body. They leave the corpse. They turn into zombies. They walk until they find the next person. They slowly get killed until the final person either kills all of them and runs away or just runs away. Or gets killed by the zombies. Or gets killed by the zombies. That's all this is. Like, there's no different story. It's boring. And I still have, like, four more. Good luck. There's five Lust of the Dead movies. Yeah, have fun with that franchise. Especially when that franchise starts getting into the stock footage. Uh, Wait, you've watched them? No. No. Then how do you know about stock footage, Rex? Because I've seen reviews of them. Ah. There's also a TV show called The Great Horror Family, which I know has some zombies in it. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know. I I don't know if there's any others, truth be told. Um I mean, I, I could just one of these could just miraculous be oh, there's also organ. Um, another zombie movie. So I mean, I I'm just tired of these. 
<laughs> like we need new cool stuff or something like that's that's my challenge is I need to grow up and make a zombie movie and make it different. Do you think I could achieve that? Who knows? That's not very like encouraging. I know. You're welcome. Mm. I'm here okay. all week. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure I'm gonna love that. I'm sure I'm gonna love you being here all week. Mm-hmm. I'm a great person. Do you pay your taxes? We don't talk about that part. <laughs> don't don't tell the IRS. Duly noted. So that's all I watched, Rex. Um, and that's my that's my rant about about zombie movies because they're boring. So why are we here? I don't know, man. You ever wonder What's why the meaning here? of life? Someday I'm gonna have to learn that whole scene, that whole transcript of the that first scene in Red vs. Blue for situations like this. Red versus blue. Have you never heard of red versus blue? No. Damn. It's a good show. What is it? So you know like Halo, right? (laughs) I know of Halo. Yeah, so like red versus blue was like this, this like fan parody thing. Like this fan parody like sort of skit series. That was made by like Rooster Teeth, and it's essentially what birthed Rooster Teeth. It was made by just them like playing and filming the stuff they did in the original Halo and voicing over it, and it's really funny. And it's gone on for about eighteen seasons, with its final one about to come out this year or something this year or next year. I see. It's a great show. Minus some of the recent seasons. But we don't talk about those. We don't talk a lot about a lot of things, Rex. Mm-hmm. But what tokusatsu are we talking about? Are we going to talk about... Well, if it's Yamaz... God! Okay, so Yamazaki Month. We've talked about Parasite Part 1 and 2. We've talked about Returner. It has to be a movie available in the United States. So that takes out Juvenile. That takes out The Eternal Zero. That takes out Always Sunset on 3rd Street. Oh. 2 and 64. I still need to watch 64. F in the chat for Rex for not watching 64. We can't do Stand By Me Doraemon. Or the sequel, or Dragon Story, or Ghost Book, or I mean, Destiny. Not. Stand by Me, Doraemon is available in the West. No, it's not. Yes, it is. It's on Netflix. Oh, that's right. It's available on Netflix. Yeah. So, are we doing that? No, because I'm not buying oh. Netflix. You don't buy Netflix. I'm not subscribing to Netflix. There we go. So, 
So what are we covering? Well, I did watch this little film based on an anime series. That oh! By Takashi Yamazaki. Oh, we're covering Ballad. No. I don't know what Ballad is based on. Wait, is that Crown Shin-chan of all things? Yes. Damn. That's pretty crazy that he turned a Crayon Chin Chin movie into a movie. Another movie. I believe it was actually like a side story. I wouldn't know. <laughs> I think it was. And it was like the weirdest one to adapt because it like they go back in time and like they it's it's a really weird movie. Damn. Are we covering the Great War of Archimedes? No. We are covering a film. Godzilla Minus One? I wish. I wish. So what are we covering, Rex? A little film Ghost type. book? Shut up. Why do you always <laughs> interrupt me? Go ahead, go ahead. Tell us what we're covering. I'm waiting for you I'll to wait. inter- What? I'm waiting for you to just try interrupting. Go ahead. Tell us what we're what what are we covering, Rex? So today Juvenile. Okay, okay. Okay. Onto that. Should I? Do I? Yes. Oh. Okay. Go ahead. I won't interrupt you anymore. Uh-huh. So today we are covering space. Always sunset on Third Street too. I wish. I genuinely wish. I would love to cover that film. That that is a beautiful. So just nearly. What are we covering? You keep saying you wish. So just say it. Today we are covering Space Battleship Yamato. See, was that was was that that difficult? You shut up. You shut (laughs) up. Go sit in the naughty corner. But why? I mean, was it that difficult to just say that, Rex? Right? Come in on. In the naughty corner. In the naughty corner. Yeah. You're staying there for five minutes. Okay. Start the <laughs> clock. Go ahead and start the show. I'll be back in five minutes. Great. Okay, your five minutes is up. We're going in dog years. So what are we covering today? What do you mean, what are we covering? <laughs> okay, go ahead. Why, why are you starting it again? I was, it was a joke. Are you okay? Ha ha, ha laugh. Are you okay? So yes, we are covering Space Battleship Yamato today. Mm-hmm. The 2010 and, film. Yes. It opened December 1st, 2010 to be exact. Yes. So, Rex, do we want to do a little background on this film? Sure. So, okay. All I, I was able to find a whole lot, so I'm kind of hoping you can help me here. So, mm-hmm. the film started in development in late 2004 
from Tokyo Broadcasting uh, Systems Studios. Mm-hmm. Systems, I think it's systems. Right. And from late 2004 up until 2009, they were developing a script and, and figuring out who they were going to have as the cast and crew and, and whatnot. And eventually they landed on Takashi Yamazaki to direct it. Mm-hmm. And they had their whole their whole cast and crew. And they started filming October 12th of 2009. Yes. And filming occurred for, I want to say it was until February. I think it was February. And then most of... Uh, no, it was December 29th was what I read. Because they wanted to finish filming by the end of 2009 and spend the... And spend the year 2010 That's right. entirely on VFX, essentially. That's right, because there's 65 minutes of VFX with over 500 shots. This was a huge undertaking for the whole team. Yes. Um, so much so that uh, the main actor, Taikuya Kimura, I yeah. probably s- said his first name wrong, I apologize, mm-hmm. uh, took a pay cut because he had seen, av- he had seen adv- uh, Avatar. 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 And he wanted it to look like Avatar level, so he went and took a pay cut so Yamazaki could redo the CG so right. it could be done proper. Right. Although I didn't find anything that actually said that he had fully done that. It's just that he... I Maybe I misread these, the my sources, but I just saw them saying that he was offering to do that. Which maybe I misread that. I read a one of my sources said that he did take a pay cut, okay. and uh, it was and part of partially why he took a pay cut was they were going to have to go back and redo some of the CG, maybe not necessarily reshoot, but he did do a few reshoots. Yeah, um, but they had to like redo the CG, and because of the reshooting and the scheduling, they were afraid that that would lead to them having to delay the film and the film going over budget. So that's why he took the pay cut so it wouldn't go over budget. And they still somehow managed to get it out on time for that December 1st time slate. (laughs) So that, I mean, I'm pretty, that was pretty cool to hear. Um, Now, more importantly, this is an adaptation of an anime series that started in 19, was it 74? Yeah, so Space Battleship Yamato, Uchu Senken Yamato, is also known a Japanese, as Star Blazers. Yes, in the US, is a Japanese sci fi anime that was produced by Yoshinobu Nishizaki and co created by Leiji Matsumoto and also Eichi Yamamoto. At first, the it first was conceived in 1973 by producer Nishizaki as a tokusatsu project that was influenced by films, specifically the success of films such as the Poseidon of the Poseidon adventure and Japan sings taking influence from like the, just the way people were surviving in these dire circumstances and, both films the one of the original titles for it was asteroid ship icarus 
which was a dark sort of Lord of the Flies type story. But by summer of 1973, when Leiji Matsumoto got involved, it would evolve into Yamamoto, which was a bit more of a lighthearted story. Yamamoto was, or sorry, Yamato was the name of the ship in the story. But at the time of this draft, there was, the ship was not supposed to have any resemblance to the real life battleship Yamato. It wasn't until later on in further drafts that this sort of came about. Gotcha. Eventually it was developed into an anime series produced by Academy Productions, which is now owned by Toei and Group TAC. The show would release in October of 1973, or 74, sorry, lasting for 26 episodes. Although, interestingly enough, it was originally planned to be 52 episodes, but but due to low ratings, it got cut down to 39 and then 26. Really? Yeah. And, And it didn't see success until 1977, when a compilation film was released after Star Wars that attracted a large audience, a surprisingly large female audience in particular, which was really interesting to me because, I mean, first you got the 50 or so episodes being cut down, and then you've got the large, surprising amount of female audience it's interesting. That's a lot like what would happen with Gundam years later. <laughs> Which is even more interesting when you consider the fact that Space Battleship Yamato is very clearly a big influence on shows like Gundam. But yeah, it's also worth noting that when it the compilation film released, it was actually more successful than Star Wars' Japanese release. Oh, wow, really? Yeah. Interesting. Now, for kaiju fans, they're going to know Battleship Yamato um, because they it, it has a very funny connection to kaiju films. Um, Space Battleship Yamato actually makes a cameo appearance in Gamera Super Monster uh, very <laughs> briefly, which is was my first introduction to the the, the anime, and it's still my only introduction to the anime i i haven't watched the anime as per usual mm-hmm. um, admittedly neither have i but no i and but i do know that that compilation film did get brought over to the states edited down even more and yeah. um i know that i mean the show was brought over and i think both original compilation movies were there was only one compilation one? movie and then the next film was a sequel called farewell to space battleship yamato and then the series would continue in a in various sequel shows and movies that would disregard that second film's ending and make it non-canon okay so I'm wondering then if they did a second couple compilation movie in the States, because I could have swore they Maybe? did. I, I don't know. Maybe. But uh, one thing interesting, there, there were, when you were talking about the production of the live action film, something you actually neglected to mention 
or maybe just didn't find is that prior to 2004, there was the there was actually the Walt Disney Company had actually bought the rights to create a live action adaptation of Yamato, or probably more accurately, Star Blazers, the American adaptation of it. Interesting. Yeah. A draft script was actually written by Tab Murphy, whom was the writer of the sequel treatment to Godzilla 1998, this script being dated to September of 1977. It was eventually leaked, and from what I've read, it is a very poor adaptation. (laughs) That makes some very significant changes to the story kind of turning it to a an american nationalistic story which is rather funny when you consider that the one of the producer nishizaki is reportedly a diehard anti-american patriot <laughs> and the series was viewed was possibly created or at least in nishizaki's eyes was a metaphor for post-World War II American occupation. Okay. <laughs> hmm. And it would, and apparently from what I've read, the script would essentially make significant changes to the characters that kind of undermine the story of the original series. But the project never really got far. It was kind of just stuck in pre-production hell. Up until, and it was kind of just shelved in around 2004 when Michael Eisner left Disney as the CEO and the rights reverted back to Nishizaki. Gotcha, okay. And that's how the, and from there Nishizaki and TBS started planning for the live action film. Prior to Yamazaki, they actually wanted Shinji Higuchi to direct the film. Okay, I could see that. I could definitely see Higuchi. But apparently on. he was busy at the time, which I don't know what... It didn't say what, what he was busy with, but given the time, perhaps he was busy with Japan Sinks at the time. I was wondering because... Like, which was is ironic oof. given Yamato was inspired by Japan Sinks. <laughs> right, because you said it was 04 when they started doing that, correct? Yeah, oh four, oh five ish around around right. that time. Yeah, so that would have been that probably would have been Sinking of Japan and uh Lorelei, the Witch of the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. Um which is which is about uh the Imperial Japanese Navy. So that's kinda of funny that both kinda of worked uh were, you know, inspired by World War Two. Um but those were probably what he was working on at the time. Mm-hmm. And then he would later, you know, go on and and do other things. But um, I also i I didn't know that Disney was attached to do one, but I do know that Skydance was going to do an American adaptation following Yamazaki's film in 2013. Mm-hmm. But that just never went anywhere. Huh. And interestingly enough. They aren't quoting. They're not adapting "quote unquote" space battleship Yamato. They were going to adapt Star Blazers. 
what the Skydance project. Yes, and and to my okay. understanding, that was kind of the idea for the Disney one too. Was yeah, that's what it sounds like to me. Like even, I think it was some of the character. Even though a lot of the names for the characters were changed from Star Blazers, they were sm- they were kind of similar to the Star Blazer names, from what I can recall. Gotcha. So at least in in this in the script for the Disney one, so the Yamato is renamed to the Argo in Star Blazers. Okay, it, being named after Jason and the Argonauts. Right. In the in the American film, they were going to rename it to Arizona, like the <laughs> World War Two battleship. I think so. I think that was the idea. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's definitely an American adaptation. Yeah. <laughs> the the earth the human base was also going to be Mount Rushmore. Yeah, that's definitely an American <laughs> adaptation. That just screams Ultraman the Adventure begins to me. <laughs> you know, going back to, to kind of talk about Shinji Higuchi doing this, I feel like I, I could definitely see him like it seems like something he would do. Right. Oh, I agree. <laughs> but do you think it would have been as VFX heavy if Higuchi did it compared to Yamazaki? Perhaps it would have employed more practical effects. Maybe. I don't know. I want to, I, I probably would like to see his Japan sinks adaptation someday to sort of answer your question. Cause I want to know if that film is more, I'd, I'd imagine it's a bit more VFX heavy, but I want to know how it approaches practical effects. I don't know if that film actually uses practical effects or not. Right. I'm I'm not sure either. I I wish I did, but that's one of the, that's another one of those movies that I've just not been able to get my hands on. So the film that we're talking about battleship space battleship Yamato opened number one at the Japanese box office. Mm -hmm. And it ended up being the fourth highest grossing domestic film in Japan in 2011, Mm -hmm. which is good because it had a budget of over 2 million yen, 2 billion yen, 2 billion yen, excuse me. (laughs) 2 million yen would be like nothing. (laughs) Right. And, so I I was looking, and this is Yamazaki's first big budget like blockbuster, mm. essentially, because Juvenile was was low budget, so was Returner, right? And then following that, you had the the two of the Always movies, right? But they weren't. Yeah. I mean, they were they did very well, but they weren't those big in scope. Yes, no, yeah. those are drama films, right? And so was Parade, or Ballad, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Ballad is a is kind of a more of a drama. It's got sci-fi elements, of course, but it's it's more of a drama. Mm-hmm. And I think those are the movies that were pre... Yeah. 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 And then he did Space Battleship Yamato, which is a very big in scope movie. And it was his first time adapting a very popular IP. Mm-hmm. And to my understanding, it was met with some criticism, 
mm-hmm. mostly because he did alter the genders of a few characters in the film. Um, he right. turned a few of the male characters into female. Right, yeah, because in the, from what I read, in the original series, there was only one female crew member on the Yamato, being Yuki. Mm-hmm. Whereas in this film, there's like the doctor and like one of the other like crew members has been changed to female. Right. Which I don't have a problem with, but I'm also yeah. not familiar with the IP. So maybe it's not, maybe it's I, just cause it's. In this film, they're side characters, but the way the internet has made it sound it seems like they're pretty substantial characters in the source material so if that's the case i guess i can understand it right at the same time i'm not really the type of person to get all up in arms when someone like changes the race or this or the gender of a character particularly right as long as it's not like meant to like alter the the story I don't I never have an issue with it like as long as it's like if I can't tell there's a problem like I can't tell there's a problem here like there there's no problem. Right. I mean frankly like a there's more significant change to the antagonist of the film the Gamalis whom in the original series are a lot are basically like these human like aliens. Okay. Whereas in this film, they're essentially portrayed as a hive mind. Right. And the other, like, alien entity in this film, called, like, the Iskander, they were, from what I understand, they were kind they were separate species in the original. And, Mm -hmm. like, their planet was, like, a, a separate planet. Whereas in this film, they're they're portrayed as being quite literally two sides of the same coin and two sides of the same planet. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. And it's, you know, I, I feel like that would be a little bit better when, when I did do a little research for this movie, I was, I did find out that this took a lot of inspiration from like, the recent because the film is very gritty right it's kind of dark and around this time uh battle uh battlestar galactica had its reboot show mm-hmm. and, and then star trek had its the jj reboot movie films. right yeah and it took a lot of inspiration from from the battlestar galactica reboot mm-hmm. but even more than that this movie feels like I'm watching J.J. Abrams' Star Trek. I can't um, really comment because even though I've seen those films, I don't remember very much from any of them because it's there's been like a lot years. of there's a lot of shots in this movie that it was kind of like, well, that's that's a little bit like Star Trek. And I know I don't, someone pointed out that the that the use of that there's a use of lens flare in this film that very similar to J.J. Abrams' style. Yes, yes, I noticed that as well. And I don't know if all the characters in this are supposed to be like Star Trek characters, but you could basically make everybody in this movie that's a main character a Star Trek character. (laughs) You, You have your Scotty, you have your Bones, 
you have your Kirk, you have your Pike, you have your Spock, you you have, I mean, you could basically fit every character from Star Trek into this. Mm. And I, you know, I don't know if the original material is that way, but at least for this, it was like, I feel like I'm watching a Japanese Star Trek movie. Mm-hmm. I know um, a lot of people, I know there's some people at least who made comparisons to like Susumu in the anime is portrayed to be a lot more of like a respectful character and less rebellious than he is in this film. And I remember reading that a few people were kind of suggesting that perhaps Yamazaki or the screenwriter who whom was Yamazaki's wife or is not Yamazaki's at this time wife, or yeah, yeah would become Yamazaki's wife, I guess. That potentially they took inspiration from Chris Pine's right. interpretation of Captain Kirk. Right. With making Susumu more rebellious in this adaptation. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised. And honestly, like, I'm going to, like, if you want to, we can kind of dive into this movie now, because yeah. most of my thoughts was just, like, this feels like Star Trek. This feels like Star Trek. Because every time they're they're in the bridge, it looks like a Star Trek scene. From how the layout is to where the characters are, it's all very much like a Star Trek episode. I've watched all the original show and the animated series, one episode of The Next Generation, and all of the original movies, and two of the three reboot movies. And this is very much the layout of like your like original Enterprise show. You're gonna be sad when I say this, but my only experience with Star Trek is the J.J. Abrams reboots. That is very sad. You should go watch the original show and then watch the movies. I do want to, especially episode Space Seed, and then go watch quite literally one of the best movies from the '80s. Is it Wrath of Khan or? Yes. <laughs> but that's a Star Trek conversation. We're not Star Trek conversation. <laughs> We're kaiju conversation talking about Tokusatsu. That would be so, terrible for Star Trek conversation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So if you're ready, Rex, I'm going to go ahead and dive into this movie. Yes, let's begin. Be- Because even though we're talking about Star Trek, the opening sequence just screams Star Wars to me. Right. I I definitely got, like, prequel trilogy. Like, yes, the opening to episode three. Yes. Because we start off, and and it's it's in a battle scene. We're we're in a battle. Mm -hmm. And you've got characters flying around in in spaceships fighting other spaceships. Mm -hmm. And the cinematography and the the color in this movie is very akin to like like you said episode 3 um kind of that prequel star wars stuff right yeah. it it's it's got the production design of a star trek movie with the cinematography and look of a star wars movie mhm and I mean, I I I am I'm happy that they got us right into the action. It it establishes the problem, which is humanity's on the losing end of this battle, right? Right. And 
I noticed that this movie has a lot of parallels with Returner. Oh. Um, in, in its story structure, which is kind of interesting because both movies start with the alien force annihilating the human race wherever they're at, right? Mm-hmm. And then we later see that the human race has resulted into has retreated into inside the earth because the outside of the earth is uninhabitable, which is something that you see in Returner as well. Right. And there's more that I'll get into as we keep going through here, but we're, we're introduced to our, the seasoned captain of not the Yamato, but another space battleship. Yes. Juzo Otaki being, or Akita, sorry, being his name. And we see his his battleship, space battleship, about to go down when suddenly he gets a video call from a neighboring space battleship and the captain of that saying, escape while you can. It was an honor serving with you. I'm covering the fire while you escape. Yeah. And, and then he, he sacrifices su- himself. And the ship blows up. I was up very with- sad. Because that was Shinichi Satsumi, and I was really hoping he'd be in more of this movie. <laughs> Poor Rex. He's he's like the best character in the Always trilogy. He's so funny. He's so goofy. <laughs> and from here, I mean, so the space battleship with our with our our second main character he's well I, I, he's more of a side character but the captain he escapes mm-hmm. and then we cut to our main character oh yeah that's another difference in from what i understand in the anime the captain is more directly like a main character i think it's the way it seemed to me I could be wrong, but the way it seemed to me is that it's the anime is kind of from the captain's perspective with Susumu get becoming more, I guess, relevant later on. Okay. That was the impression I got. I could be a bit wrong on that. Anyone who's seen Space Battleship Yamato, feel free to correct us. And see, I would... I, I get why they would change that for this movie, right? Because this mm-hmm. movie is basically the revenge story, right? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. it's the the I'm going well not revenge but avenge. It's the yeah. I'm going to avenge my family that I've lost, right? Yeah, I've lost everything. What's the point of turning? You know what? What's the point of living? Which is kind of a depressing note to to you know have, but that is that that's kind of the overall idea is to to avenge the fault your fallen loved ones, and from here we we cut to uh, Susuma Susumu, yes, in the underground. I'm trying to remember what they called it. I think it's just called the underground city. Um, I don't think they had a specific name for it. But I it's think in sad. the in the previs stuff in the previs material they they labeled oh, it maybe. as underground city, um, which explains that the human race has retreated into inside the earth 
and during this all of this there's there's some narration that kind of explains all of this so i'm basically reciting what the narration says uh aliens attack the planet which caused radiation by humans uh which caused the earth to be filled with radioactivity which makes the surface uninhabitable Mm-hmm. And has absolutely ruined the Earth, which is completely the opposite of what Godzilla 2014 and King of the Monsters suggest, <laughs> just saying. Um, and so every – all the, the human race now lives in the Earth in these giant underground cities. And if you want to go out onto the surface, you, you basically have to wear hazmat material, but they – the the human race is so far like depleted in resources. All of their resources now are being devoted solely to building space battleships to defend what little is left of the earth. Mm -hmm. And we follow our main character, Susumu walking out to salvage scrap. Yeah. And so he he ventures out, and we kind of see how dirty and grungy the the city looks. Mm-hmm. Um, Very similar to how it looked to how Earth sort of looked in Returner, but with less buildings. Right, exactly. And once Susumu leaves the the underground city, we see how desolate the Earth is, like how it is in Returner, and. Susumu is searching for scrap metal with his robotic friend that just goes by the name of Analyzer mm-hmm. that basically is t- telling Susumu like what the radiation levels are and whatnot. And suddenly something comes crashing down in front of him, which blow like knocks him out away. Yep. And when he comes to, he has no mask on, which is bad because the earth is full of radiation, right? That's that's going to lead to destroy him, his death. But, but he's some, been effective. Yes, and he can't tell why, but there's this weird machine that's sitting before him with a sort of force field or something around it. He picks it up. And this is when the space battleship that our captain was piloting from earlier returns to earth. Mm-hmm. And then Susumu collapses again, kind of weird, but I digress. And then we go back to, to our captain and, and what's going on on the ship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They recover the capsule realize that it has both coordinates to a an unknown location as well as schematics for a high-speed ship engine essentially right and as they're like discovering this as they're looking at the blueprints and the location that this this little device has susumu comes like barreling in <laughs> and this is where we find out that the person who gave his life earlier for the captain was Susumu's brother. Yes, Mamoru. And Susumu basically has this this 
thought process of the captain didn't want to die, so he basically he he basically is the reason why his his brother died. Yeah. Which okay, this is where I'm going to first make a little complaint. We already saw what happened. So as the audience, we know that's not true. Mm-hmm. Which leads to at least for me, it, it was kind of like, well, that's not what happened. Why are we like, like why why is this a plot point? I mean, it makes sense in the context of the 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 story, right? But entertainment value wise, we already know that. Mm-hmm. If anything, it's obnoxious that we have to watch him find out, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I guess so. I didn't have issue with it, but I I guess you're not wrong. But after this little exchange, they they take Susumu away because he almost assaults the captain for for the death of his brother. And this is where we get the introduction to the battleship Yamato, if I remember correctly. Yes. Yeah. The captain meets with uh, essentially the head general of sorts on Earth. And they discuss how essentially the the Gamilas are getting stronger every day. They don't know anything about the Gamilas, and they just humanity is has no hope. And so, with the battleship Yamato, the general wants to use it to evacuate as a select few people from Earth and just take them into space. But the captain, the captain objects to this wanting to use it to go on a journey of hope and essentially go to the location of where the coordinates led to. Which, okay. I feel like they glossed over that way too, like way too quickly. Mm -hmm. I feel like that would have been a great, like plot point because Okata specifically says instead of you know giving the privileged a way out for a couple of extra months let me try to save everybody like the idea there is a lot in I think that's a lot more interesting than just going on this mission of hope like mm-hmm. trying to convince him to not do what the government would do, right? Like helping the the mm-hmm. privileged and and leaving everybody else to die. Mm-hmm. I feel like that could have been a more interesting plot point that you know Okta has to fight to have the battleship Yamato. Mm-hmm. But it, he's it's very uh, our general is very quick to give Okta the the battleship yeah. Yamato and. What's what kind of and this is another problem. Okta tells him to just make up a story for why they're using the battleship Yamato to -hmm. go on this journey. Well, the general's telling him, like, what kind of story are you going to cook up with this? Okay, that's true. That's true. But this like the fact that they include this so early on basically detracts from the third act of this movie 
mm-hmm. because we're given this context now. See, that's that is one issue I think this movie has is it explains everything up front. Right. This movie does not reveal anything. Right. And I was going to just mention how like contrast to Returner where Returner was only giving you the information as it became necessary in the film, as it became relevant, not right. making it immediately obvious that they're aliens, just other threat, just kind of giving you hints towards it at the beginning. Right. And even in Parasite, everything Parasite set up was paid off later, but they didn't specifically set it up. They right. hinted at it and then paid it off, right. which is what I love about that script. Whereas in contrast, I feel like for Space Battleship Yamato, they're very quick to give you everything and not, you know, keep anything as a surprise. Mm-hmm. Like even the Battleship Yamato is is not a reveal, right? Like mm-hmm. Okata just walks in and says, I want the ship. And he's given the ship. Right. There isn't a lot of build up to it. The no, most it's, build it's... up there is is just that they don't is that they don't show it for a few seconds. Like this scene it doesn't show what Okta or the general are looking at up until the very end of the sheet and end of the scene where it pans to the Yamato. Right. And that's it's... about the most build up you kinda get. Right. In a way, this is very... It's kind of interesting. It's structured a lot like the war in space. How in the war in space, they're very quick to get off of Earth. But before they get off of Earth, they have to showcase their weaponry, if I remember correctly, with like their ultimate weapon against the aliens. And then they just head off into space and go to the planet. Right. Like, it's it's a very, it's like, you, we know you don't want to be on the Earth, so we're going to get you off the Earth as quickly as possible so we can go on this space adventure. It's very much structured that same way, except this is a two-hour long version and not a 90-minute <laughs> version. Right. A bit longer than two hours, actually. Actually, yeah, it's closer to two and a half. Yes. <laughs> Which I appreciate, but also it's like, mm, there's not, I mean... So following this, we get the general doing a press conference, giving everybody the fake story that we know is a fake story. Yeah. And it's this inspirational, like, we're going to do this to save the human race, and this is our last hope. While also trying to get people to sign up. Right. Because they need people to run this battleship, so they say anybody who is a mechanic or uh, has experience in the military, you know, apply, which gives our main character, uh, Sumu, Sumu, a reason to join. <laughs> and then we, we cut to his enrollment where we find out that he is a squadron leader who left the service a while ago, and he's re- re-enlisting. And he doesn't have to go through any checks. He just is handed his stuff and he goes on his merry way. Yeah. Which is a little weird because we see yeah. the person before him. And 
like he has to like she goes through his resume and like checks stuff off and then gives him his uniform and moves on but for him it's just like you're still alive looks at him and they're like well here's your uniform and your stuff and he says i don't want the uniform i'm keeping my old one i'll take the stuff and he just walks away Mm -hmm. and coincidentally i guess they somehow got through the whole line within the next 10 minutes or just like parasite this movie has a problem with with jumping in time without establishing it because once the sumu's on like actually on with his jacket and whatnot, our female protagonist, Yuki, is like, What are you doing? And he's like, Well, uh, I'm I'm here. I'm going to be on this battleship the space battleship, and suddenly they're attacked. Yeah. And he starts giving orders, and she says, You're not my boss. And he says, Well, as of my re-enlisting. I'm your squadron leader, so give me all you got. Which is a little weird because I, yeah, I mean, I, I thought, don't I know. That was weird how he, he volunteered, he got put on, and then he's just suddenly like a, a squadron leader. Yeah, I don't know how the military works, but something tells me if you leave the military and then you come back years later you don't suddenly have the position you were at. Yeah. Like I get that since it's like the last of humanity and it's like a last hope sort of mission that it wouldn't be fall. I I can suspend my disbelief of it following like a full military procedure, but him just jumping straight into like that role immediately was a little weird. <laughs> Especially after trying to assault the captain. Yeah, that, that particular. <laughs> I just, I, it just was kind of like, well, that's okay. Sure. Cool. Sure. And this is where we get the launch of, of the space battleship Yamato, which I must say the scale in this movie is huge. Oh, yeah. This this movie does amazing with a huge scale. You feel, you can tell that these are humongous battleships and, and spaceships and whatnot. But this is where we really get to see the CGI in all of its glory. And, you know, it, it looks good, but there's it's a little obvious. It's, you know, they're a little yeah. over their head. It's it's not American Hollywood budget stuff, but it's it's it's. It's good for what it is, I'd say. Right. Like I don't I don't think you're really gonna get much better from this time in Japanese cinema. Right. And I mean if you look at it because so Always Two came out in oh nine or that was oh seven, wasn't it? Yes. Oh seven? Yes. So I mean if you look at that Godzilla, which was three years prior to Yamato, I I think it's night and day. Oh yeah. Um so it's not it's good. It's just not like the best, right? Which is fine. And so once they launch it It is a thirteen year old movie now. Or this almost is, thirteen years. Yeah, right, right. It's it's basically thirteen. Yeah. Um so following their launching of, of the battleship, we find out that there's a missile headed straight towards Earth, and if it lands like the human race is destroyed, we're dead. Mm-hmm. We're gone. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I we also forgot to mention that during the the debrief, the press conference, the general does say that the human race has maybe a year left to live. Maybe yeah. even just months. So like it's it's the end of of the world as we know it. Just like in Returner. And we're given the last our last hope, which in Returner was was the time travel device to like stop it all from happening, and this is the battleship to end all wars. Which should we bring up why it's called the Battleship Yamato? I mean, it's essentially a I don't they don't really make it explicit in this film, but in the series it's essentially a retrofitted slash rebuilt version of the of the real life battleship Yamato and which emerges from its where the real life battleship Yamato fell. Which the battleship Yamato was the largest Japanese battleship, correct? So it was it and its sister ship, the Musashi, were the okay. biggest and most powerfully armed battleships ever constructed. Essentially In being that, the pride of the Japanese Navy. Right. That was like their like if the Yamato is there, like whoever's there is gonna lose was basically how they that might have been how they saw it, but that was not really how it went. <laughs> right, because didn't it fall pretty quick after? So, like, it was engaged in a few battles, but, like, from what, from my research, which bear in mind wasn't terribly extensive, I'm not a history expert, but, like, so it engaged in multiple battles from 1940 onward, but it did not end up contributing a huge amount to a lot of its battles like it was in i know it was involved in the battle of midway which was a pretty substantial battle in 1942 but ultimately in that battle it i don't if i remember right it was there but it didn't actually it didn't actually by the time the japanese fleet had lost it was too late for the battleship yamato to really make any impact so it ended up leaving before it could really get involved in the battle and which happened a few times in a lot of in a few of the battles it was going to get engaged with it didn't really end up doing much up until like near the end of the war and Mm -hmm. it was ultimately destroyed in april of 1945 where it and nine other Japanese warships engaged in a suicide attack during the Battle of Okinawa. Right. And Battleship Yamato appears actually kind of frequently in the genre we're talking about. Obviously, we have this movie. Um, but there's also Rigo, um, Deep Sea Monster Rigo versus Battleship Yamato, which is the Battleship Yamato fighting Rigo. And I want to say there's one or two references in the Godzilla movies to yeah, Yamato. Yeah, I, I, I'm sh- I recall somewhere there's a Godzilla movie that mentions it at some point. I, I don't remember which one. I couldn't tell you off the top of my head which film, yeah. Right. So I, the battleship Yamato does have some weight in the kaiju genre. 
um not not a whole lot but it, it's it's relevant to to the genre it's it's the plot point for one movie at least um but but going back to to space battleship yamato i just wanted to establish what why it's called the yamato and and why it's relevant to japanese culture right so they find out that this missile is going to destroy the whole human race and they have to use their ultimate weapon right off the bat again they're using the ultimate weapon that they have at the beginning so we're not going to be surprised at all by this weapon going forward. So once again, they're just kind of playing their card. And okay, correct me if I'm wrong, but so the they it's a weapon on the front of the bow. It's it's this cannon yeah. essentially. Isn't that basically what Goten had as well? Like, didn't it have a laser at the front? Um, it might have. I, I know well, like that the... Go- the, the Gotenga from Final Wars has, has one. Yeah. I, I think I might be thinking of how the Goten had the drill that was able to be launched and was, like, the ultimate weapon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which, if I remember correctly... War in Space was inspired by Space Battleship Yamato, um, the show, because by this point. um, So it was cool to kind of see. I mean, I got a lot of like Goten vibes from this movie, which was really cool. I I like that. I couldn't find anything about it in my research, but I have always kind of wondered if like Space Battleship Yamato, like the series, was inspired by like Atragon. from Atragon, yeah. Right. And. Wasn't Atragon? Atragon was originally a book. Yes, yes. So it could potentially have been inspired by the book, right? So potentially it could have been from that as well, Mm. um, in a little, you know, in a roundabout way. Um, but we get to see the ultimate cannon used, and it, it it destroys the the missile. But then they say, well. All of our secrets are out now, so we're kind of screwed if if we have to fight them now because they're going to know all of our weapons. <laughs> Which, okay, cool. Now we're, it kind of, I don't know. With that, it was basically, okay, so this is going to be a let's try to survive movie. Like, it's not going to be, we're going to stay and fight. It's, we're going to try to get to our location, get what we need, and get back before we die. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, that works, but it's also like, I I mean, we're apparently on the ultimate space battleship. Like, surely this is supposed to, like, have a fighting chance against whatever they throw at them. But much like the aliens from Returner, these aliens adapt to anything the humans have. Um, which means all the weapons are useless after, like their initial use, which is exactly what happens in Returner as well. And from this point forward, Space Battleship Yamato is a, let's find this thing and bring it back so we're good, which is mm-hmm. kind of like what Returner is, which is, let's find this alien, kill it, and then go back in time and ever, or back to the future and everything's good. Right. So both follow a similar premise of, we're trying to find this object or this thing so that 
when we go back, everything's okay. Mm -hmm. And from this point on, basically the next hour is just getting to this planet that is in a faraway galaxy on this distant planet that nobody really knows what's on it. Which, again, would be all right if we didn't know that this is just a made-up story. Mm -hmm. So once they get out into space, they do encounter the aliens again and have to fight. But they end up using their warp speed. Again, just like in, in, in this movie... They ask the cat, the ship's like chief engineer, like, is she ready? And and basically, the chief engineer is like, she'll be ready. She's she's raring to go. I'm giving it all she's got, Captain. Basically, what Scotty would say. And <laughs> I couldn't help but think, man. And he's got the Scotty mustache. It's like <laughs> this. This this is they're like quite literally just using Scotty, which is fine. I like Scotty, but he doesn't have the, the Scottish accent, so it's not really <laughs> Scotty now, is it? No. Um, I did chuckle at a line that was un unintentionally funny. So after they fight the aliens and they're, they're on Mars and they're getting ready to go into, you know, warp speed, they, uh, the captain says over the intercom, basically... We're about to do something that could kill us. So keep doing your job. <sighs> and I was like, that's encouraging. Hey, it doesn't matter what you're going to do here. Whatever happens, we could die just because we're attempting light speed travel that's never been done before. <laughs> so keep doing your job. And it's like, yeah. okay, whatever. And so once they True hit Mars. Capitalism. Huh? The true end state of capitalism. That's a good point. <laughs> so once they hit Mars, they're going to go into warp speed, which they do and they don't die, which, you know, expected because there's still two hours left of this movie. Mm -hmm. And they end up traveling to the end of the galaxy where we find out that the aliens have been able to track them. And they end up fighting again. Well, this is after they've essentially, like, this was after, like, they took a, on board, like, an alien, like, a bit of an alien spaceship that they found. Are you sure? I feel like that's a little later on because before they still have to talk to their loved ones. Well, yeah, but they they talk to their loved ones after... Like basically right after the warp scene. That's... No, no. Yeah, because after the warp scene, what's his name? Susumu is taken into the brig for disobeying. Oh, that's right. That's right. Because, because like prior to that, they had sent Yuki and the fighter squadron out to dis to take on the aliens whilst they were getting the warp drive ready. And, and yeah, they defeated the most of the aliens' forces, but Yuki got, her ship got damaged, and then Susumu went to save her. 
Which got him thrown in the brig. Yeah. And then they go to warp speed and they successfully do warp speed. And then once they're at the end of the galaxy or at the end of the solar system, they say everybody has a minute to talk to their loved ones, mm-hmm. which is, is it's heartfelt. It's nice to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a we nice, get introduced- it's a nice moment for a lot of for the cast, just seeing like some of the side characters, family members. I agree, and it it really helps give them a little character development, which is nice. Right. And once everybody else has gone, they go get Susumu, and they say, you have a minute to talk to whoever you want to talk to. Mm -hmm. And it just so happens Yuki is the one that's before him, so they meet in the the hallway where they have a back and forth about how, you know, Susumu saved her life. She's kind of, you know uptight about him and they have a little they have a little moment together and then she goes into the break room whereas Susumu goes into this uh this what's it called is it the it's the communic the communications room Mm -hmm. and we're intercut between Susumu in the room and Yuki in the break room where she gets told that Susumu has no loved ones and the reason that he quit was because his family was killed during one of their runs to stop one of the bombs. Right. Where him and, and his partner at the time, Shima, partner as in the guy he was fighting alongside, mm-hmm. they tried di- diverting a missile and it ended up, that said missile ended up killing susumu's family and injuring his injuring shima's wife whom was pregnant at the time leading to her her son their son being mute right which is what which we saw earlier when he was when shima was talking to his family right and that's intercut with uh god i don't know why i can't say his name susumu uh, Susumu talking to his analyzer because we get a little bit of a heartfelt moment where Susumu says that you're really my own, his that analyzer was his only family, which is kind of sad and it's it's meant to be sad. Um, and then it's paralleled with the captain being alone looking at a photo. And then we cut back to, and actually I for, we forgot to mention before this there's a moment with Susumu in the brig where the engineer and, and the doctor and the doctor go down with some alcohol and have a moment with him where they reveal that uh him and the captain the, are essentially uh basically a lot alike right because of how they act how uh Okta act when acted when he was younger and how both of them lost somebody on that ship for Okta. It was his son for Susumu. It was his brother and that, you know, Okta's not really this bad guy and Susumu is, is being a little judgmental, which we already knew this mm-hmm. like the reveal of his son dying doesn't really impact what we already knew. I'm sorry, like that's that's mm-hmm. cold, but like we already knew that Susumu's brother did that to save Okta. 
Right. Not so like that reveal just kind of was like, oh, they have something in common. We already knew that he wasn't the bad guy and Susumu was being moody. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not a reveal. It's not a revelation. I was kind of like, okay, cool. Mm. It doesn't even give Okta really any basis for what he's doing. At least, I, I don't think it gives him any basis. Mm. I don't know. I I mean, it's this scene is more or less here just to to just first establish and set up like where we're going with Susumu's character becoming the captain later on. But we we know that's going to happen too. Because they they quite well, I mean this one's a little less direct but the chief, the head engineer says that they're going to make a captain out of him which right. is which is you know a little bit of a uh what's the term a foreshadowing of him becoming the captain and that him and Okta are a lot alike. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know. I, this was also kind of Okta's redemption f- for Susumu, at least right. in Susumu's eyes, but we already know that. So are we, it, it kind of, it's weird because the, are we the audience following Susumu or are we following a different like are is this all in Susumu's perspective that we're watching or are we watching as like this third person point of view you know we know everything like what what what's the narrative trying to do here right right it feels like a bit of like having your cake and trying to eat it too with like having the film it wants to Susumu is the protagonist clearly so it's mostly his perspective but the film is still trying to take Okita's perspective as well, which is right. why later on we still continuously cut back to him, even when he's ends up becoming not particularly relevant later on. Oh no, he he becomes irrelevant. Yeah, <laughs> as soon as they leave the galaxy, he becomes irrelevant, mm-hmm. and it's you know he he's basically just there for moral support. Yeah. Quite quite literally that's the only reason he's there at that but following their them leaving yeah. the galaxy. Cuz so we're we're going to jump in here because what we just said is going to become a bigger topic now that we're leaving the galaxy. They leave the galaxy to go to this other galaxy um where the planet's at. Mhm. The captain goes over and says, this is, we're going to a place no man has gone before. Mm-hmm. You know, Star Trek style. And then he and ha- then, has a heart attack. And then he has a heart attack. But before that, it the, it cuts to them. So time has passed without clarifying it. It cuts to them on the bridge and Susumu's back. He was yeah. in the brig last time we saw him. Now he's back on the bridge. Like nothing happened, which I I I don't know. This is just something that's kind of like, when did he get out of the brig? Why is he back? Like, what happened here? Like, there's clearly something missing here. Mm. 
don't know. I feel like I feel like the passage, the suggested passage of time, cheats it away. I guess where, it, but I there's really no suggestion. It's just like the next day. It feels like it's just the next day. They don't. Yeah, that is that is one thing I notice where it feels like it feels like this story happens over the course of like a few days to like a week or so. Right. Whereas I'm pretty sure it's meant to be a lot longer than that. Right. It's supposed to I be mean, like in the show. From what I understand, it's like a year or so. Right. And and while watching it up to this point, I was like, this is where, where I started to think I was like, okay, so if this is the whole story of space battleship Yamato, that original series, which now that I know it's only 22 episodes, I might watch 26. it just, just because or 26. Yeah. I might watch it because that's like, that's pretty like decently sized. Cool. Yeah. Um, like obviously there'd be one or two episodes on earth and then it, I, I probably a third of the show at the, after that is, is them getting out of the galaxy and then the next third is them in the other galaxy. And then the final third is them like going back to earth. At least like, that's what I would assume. Depending on the structure of the show. Yeah. So I was like at this point where they cut to they're in the new galaxy. I was like, I wonder how many episodes it would, it, it's probably taken the show to get where they're at now, which is just about an hour and what? 10 minutes into the movie. I mean, I don't know exactly how much it takes from the show, but I do know that some that the ending of the film takes a takes a fair bit from the farewell to spaceship space battleship Yamato film. Okay, which is which ends up getting retconned to non-canon. Right, right. So at least for me, it was like okay. So the next day. Is this the following week? Is this like two months? Like it just doesn't establish it. And what makes it worse is the journey back is done in a quarter or a tenth of the time it takes for them to get there. Right. So then it really like I, I it begs the question, how much time has truly passed? Mm-hmm. Granted, it's in space. So like time doesn't really exist. But there also has to be some sort of timetable. Like, mm-hmm. if the Earth only has a year maybe to live, or maybe just months, and they're like the aliens could destroy the human race at any time now that they're, you know, there's no major battleship. Like, what? what's the, how, how urgent is this? And why is it it takes, twice or three times the length to get to the place to get back quicker right it just i don't know i Mm -hmm. i cannot stand the time in this one or the parasite movies like both movies do an awful job at clarifying how much time has passed (laughs) and i think that's because they're trying to focus on the humans elements the drama the characters right Mm-hmm. Um, which is nice, but I think a part of that too is just the time, like figuring out how long it they have to do this and how long it takes them, right? Mm. I feel like it's a bit more of a minor issue though. Like it's not 
a huge deal breaker for either films for me. I think it works for the first Parasite movie. The second one kind of suffers from it a little bit more. Sure, sure. And I think this one suffers worse than those two. I think this is the biggest example of, of the poor time passage. Um, but go, getting back into the plot and, and not me complaining. Um, so following this, we find out that the aliens are like on their tail, apparently, with one lone ship. They end up bringing the ship into the the battleship Yamato, which is a dumb idea. Right. Um, I got, so this is where the beginning of the independence day vibes comes in because they bring this spaceship in. They start researching, like trying to figure out what's going on. An alien appears and kills people and then takes over the mind of one of the people. Yeah. Just like an independence day. And they both kind of have a similar design concepts um obviously they're very different but the colors are very similar and they're both very tall and very slender Mm -hmm. um and that's just the beginning of the independence day vibes that this movie gives me honestly Um, this scene and like one scene later kind of gave me more of a prometheus vibe just with them like taking it (laughs) taking the random alien stuff onto the ship without much of a concern right and that's something i was like okta you would know not to do this like this is kind of stupid i mean to be fair he did just he he did have a heart attack right when they discovered it this is true he did have (laughs) a heart attack um i will say the alien reveal did kind of spook me it's it's kind of like comes out of the ship and starts attacking them Right, because it's it's clear as day where it's at, but then it just kind of pops out. It's like, oh, there <laughs> we are. There's this, there's the alien, <laughs> um, which was kind of nice. And then, you know, we we get the whole breakdown of like how the aliens are going to kill them, and yeah, and all that good stuff. And then they just kind of move on. Yeah, they're like, ah, oh, we'll leave the spaceship. It's fine. The alien also reveals his name is the alien reveals that he's Desla or Deslas, however the name's pronounced. And essentially they're attacking Earth because they want to Terraform it. Terraform it, yeah. Which I did like that. I like the fact that the reason it's radioactive is they're terraforming the planet to their liking. Mm-hmm. Something that Pacific Rim would later do as well, which I always enjoy stuff like that. I do like a good alien terraforming the Earth storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, I can appreciate that. Mm-hmm. I gotta and, say, it's it's interesting thinking about how they've how the like Gamilas are making the Earth like super radioactive. If you look at it under that lens of like this of Yamato possibly being an allegory for like post World War II Japanese or American occupation of Japan. Can you elaborate on that? I mean, Japan, uh, Japan was bombed by America. <laughs> right. So like, it's not a one-to-one thing. Obviously. I don't think the Americans exactly wanted to live in Hiroshima after they nuked it, but <laughs> 
So, so basically, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but what you're saying is the aliens could be an allegory for the Americans. Yeah, bombing. That's what and then, I mean, in a way, America did kind of terraform Japan. <laughs> right. They, they occupied it and and reformed it to the p- government they preferred. Yeah. Um, which in a way was terraforming, if you want to, you know, make that comparison in that argument. Mm-hmm. They, uh, following this, they, the alien, I guess, just leaves and turns into like a crystal. Right. Once, once it thinks its host is dead, it flies out and then they shoot it. Yeah. And it just disappears. Jokes ensue with the characters poking fun at each other and at the guy who specifically got possessed by the alien. And then Kodai meet Susumu meets with the captain where the captain Which... reveals that he is sick. He, he asks Susumu like, what do you think of this ship essentially? And talks about how Susumu is fit to be a leader just like his brother was. And then makes him acting captain. Which, this is a funny moment because initially Okta asks him, will you be the captain? And he says no. And then he says, well, I'm just going to, you know. Make it an order. Make it an order. Attention all crew members. Yeah. Which I (laughs) laughed at that. I thought that was really, really funny. Yes, that's a great moment. And then following this, oh, so we... So following this, like, as soon as he becomes captain, they're attacked. They're attacked. How coincidental. Every time they do something significant in this movie, they get attacked. And for what? Why are they getting attacked? Oh, because the alien spaceship they have on their ship is letting out a signal. Who would have guessed that an active alien spaceship from an alien race... a living alien on it would have a honing device for everybody to track it. Especially for the aliens that kind of just revealed they're a hive mind. Yeah, (laughs) not very smart. Not very smart at all. So we get another dogfight in space, and we get, you know, some nice visuals of, of a fight in space. But what we don't see is what happens following the fight. They think they've won. But they find out that I believe it's a stealth fighter. Uh, yeah, and it's Sector Three, the Sector Three bridge, I think, is what they call it, Mm -hmm. which is like the bottom part of the Yamato. Right? Is they're cut off; they can't get out, Mm -hmm. and they've sent a rescue team to open, get it open, and get them out. But the stealth the the stealth ship is about to blow up. It's yeah. like overloading itself and it's going to blow up, which during this scene, they say that, and there's like sound effects, like symbolizing the fact that it's charging up and like, it'll blow, but then it disappears. Like that, that sound disappears as mm-hmm. Susumu's like thinking over. And I'm like, well, this kind of makes it a little, a little less dire. It kind of felt like, um, I don't know if it was this scene, but I it, it might have been this scene, but I did actually notice there was some a couple of weird moments with the audio editing, specifically where like 
Susumu is trying to make a decision and like the cameras, I'm pretty sure it was this scene. The camera's kind of panning to like the different people on the bridge talking to him. And then like, there's this one character, one of the female characters, her voice is like muffled where like, you can't really make out much of what she's saying. And I thought that was really weird. I think in the dub that's fixed. Okay, I watched the Japanese version. Okay. Yeah, in the it, dub it sounded like it sounded really muffled and unclear. Like I if it weren't for the subtitles, you would not like if I were to understand if I were able to understand Japanese and didn't need subtitles, I probably wouldn't have been able to hear what she was saying. Right. Like, not make it out. Right. And you know, fall. It's so, only a character this happens with in this scene. Everyone else was okay. fine. See, I just know that the sound of like the the spaceship charging up, like cut out like halfway through this scene, and it was a little like, okay, so is it like urgent, urgent, or can they like hold off a little bit and and maybe maybe get everybody out? Mm-hmm. Um. The tension in this scene's just not there. There's no tension in this scene. Right. Um and that is one thing that this movie lacks is a lot of emotion. It's very much a point A, point B, point C, like let's keep this train moving kind of movie. Right. There's no tension, there's no like it, it's it's just boom 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 boom. Um but it's not fast enough so it, that it makes you anxious or you know they're on like a quick like they don't have a lot of time which i do think makes the film lack a little bit because there's not a lot of pressure Mm -hmm. even when susumu becomes captain it really feels like there's not a lot of pressure even though they're trying to make that a thing there's not a lot i do like that this scene does force susumu to into a moral dilemma on whether or not he should tell Yuki to, you know, blow up that point and essentially, like, abandon the people in, like, that sector-free, that third bridge area or not. Right, and we forgot to bring up earlier, and I'm going to let, I'm going to shut up so you can say what you're going to say. But earlier we did see one of the crew members who like knew Susumu. It was like really excited yeah. to see him like walk up to him and say, it's great to see you. And like, Oh, it's so awesome to see you. And then he tells his coworkers in that portion, that's the dude I've been talking all about. That's him. And now he's faced with the decision to kill him or not kill him and kill everybody else. Right. Including which... them. I feel I feel it it's it doesn't feel as impactful as it could have because we only really see that character that one single moment before. Right. And we're not given explanation to why he's relevant for Susumu. Yeah, it's just like they know each other, they clearly have a history, uh, but like that's kind of it. The character right does not appear after that except for here. But I don't even remember if they really show him except for maybe they think... cut to him. 
they they might have cut to him at one point when he was like reporting like hey i need injured i i'm injured i need rescue no i think that was all voice i think that was all done over I, the uh, intercom i feel like there was a shot i feel like there was an insert shot of him i feel like there was somewhere maybe maybe but i do agree i feel like this could have been more impactful had they like developed that a little bit more i think that this movie does kind of suffer from trying to establish okta and uh susumu's relationship Mm -hmm. and contrasts that it lacks in developing any of the other characters and their relevancy right it's got a big cast but not enough time to really develop most of them Right, and that's something... Deaths later on kind of ring hollow. Right, right, exactly. And, you know, that's something like in Star Trek, each character gets their time to shine, at least in the show, right? I mean, it's Um, harder to do that in a movie, to be fair. It is, it is. You've just got less time. Right, but what Star Trek J.J. Abrams' the Star Trek did is it did establish, if I remember correctly, Scotty got a lot of development. So did Kirk, obviously. Spock did. Let's see. Scotty, Kirk, Spock, and uh, Bones, the doctor. They were the main four, right? That was who the, you know, when you talk about like, like, popular characters those are your core ones and then you have like uhura and uh Chekhov and mm-hmm. i want to say that's your it for your main ones um but like Chekhov or sulu you also have sulu Chekhov was a later addition to the show he was not in the it originally mm-hmm. um and then sulu was, was always that side character and then so was Ahura. But they all had their time to shine in the movies in the sequel and, and going forward, right? Right. I mean, that is an advantage that Star Trek has where it has sequels, whereas this film is a standalone film. Right. But they could have at least developed because this movie this so this following this, um, Yuki does destroy the bridge. And Yuki comes on and clearly is having a moral dilemma herself about what she just did, right? Right. Where the r- romantic tension reveals itself and they kiss and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But besides the fact that she absolutely hated him, but also viewed him as like this hero, none of that was really established. Uh, I don't know about that. There's a little scene earlier where there's a bit... She's not cool with him, but he's a bit more playful with her, where I kind of picked up on it, and then wasn't surprised when it's like, oh, yep, develops into a full-blown romance. Right, I wasn't surprised, but I was also... too quickly. Yes, I think that's what it is, is it happens way too quick, and there's not enough build-up. There's not enough tension, right? Yeah. Um... And that, I think, is, is you know, a part of where this film suffers is it's not focusing on its main characters. Okta is just moral support, right? But it's focusing so much on him, whereas you have you, 
you know, Susumu and his right-hand man, who I believe is the the weapons officer for the bridge. If I remember correctly, his role in the bridge is, is weapons. Susumu or, or Shima? Shima. Shima, I think, is more just like steering the ship. Okay, okay, so he's navigation. Drive. And the what? And the warp drive. Okay, so he's okay, so he's navigation. Yeah. Like I feel like he and Susumu don't have enough time to oh, develop Yeah, 100% agree with that. But there's like the chemistry between those two is really good. Yeah. And that could have been a really cool like duo. Kind of like the Spock is uh Spock is the first mate that, you know, actually makes all the calls on on the bridge. But mm. the Spock-Kirk relationship is what they could have had, right? Mm. Which I wish occurred, but we never have time because they're too busy focusing on Okta. And then y- Yuki's relationship with him, that goes almost nowhere. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, it starts here, it goes a little bit farther, and then it just dies. It's over. They they don't have time to develop this mm-hmm. because at this point we're an hour and a half in and there's only an hour left. Right. And they still have to get to the planet, figure out what it is they need, get off the planet, go back to Earth and figure it all out. Right. Mm-hmm. And we all know there's going to be a final fight. So. How th- there is no time to develop that instead of focusing on Okta and Susumu, they should have been developing Susumu and his crew members, their relationship. Mm -hmm. A lot of this movie happens before this movie begins, because that's where, I mean, when everybody's meeting each other on the ship, there's a lot of people saying, oh, yeah, when we used to. There's a lot of stuff. Like fighter, the fighter squadron that he had, the Black Tigers, as they're called, like, all of They're them, also, they have a history with him that is just kind of told to us. Right. And they're called the Kodai Squad, which is which is his last name. Mm-hmm. Um, and Yuki was actually a part of that, before, like right as he was quitting. And we're just told that. We don't see any of that. We don't get any development besides she right. joined. And then soon after he left because of reasons. And then we get told those reasons. Yeah. Like, I feel like this mo- a lot of this movie rests before the movie happens. Right. And maybe they could have cut out all of the exposition dump and actually had an exposition. I, I-, I don't know. I- this movie is definitely a little bloated. Oh, 100% agree with that. I don't think it needs to be two hours, 20 minutes. <laughs> Like I said, it's very much the war in space, but, you know, a Battleship Yamato adaptation. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like if it condensed the story and maybe I feel like I feel like it kind of having an ensemble cast is kind of part of the issue with it because there's kind of too many characters. Like I get I get that it's an adaptation and you don't want to cut or like the fan favorites. I get that. But, but Parasite did up, this better. Yeah. And Parasite made that those sacrifices. 
Right, and cut it did some, receive like, char- iconic characters from the manga were cut out because they didn't fit the story. Right, and you know, I and and it Parasite did receive some critical problem critical reviews because of those cut characters. Right, but, on a but that's strictly... an inevitability with an adaptation and making changes. But like, right, you have a lot of the time you just have to make changes because it's it's for a new medium (laughs) right and in all honesty when you when you talk about parasite on a strictly narrative point of view the first movie i think is flawless when it comes to the narrative of of the characters Mm -hmm. the only problem the first parasite movie has is just establishing the time frame right it doesn't feel like for for an outsider at least it doesn't feel like anything has really been lost right you don't feel in, like there's characters or scenes missing from the movie right on on a strictly narrative point of view parasite part 1 is very solid mm-hmm. um which okay i feel like i should say this parasite did come out 4 years after this yeah. movie so yamazaki did have time to like figure Refined things skills. out but in all fairness, this was after the first two Always movies, which are his masterpieces. Mm-hmm. So Yamazaki and Air Quotes had already hit his peak, mm-hmm. right? So this is a post-peak Yamazaki film. And it feels like it belongs right around the time Returner came out. Right. Because I and, and I think this movie basically is like a different take on the Returner storyline. Mm-hmm. Like everything's there to basically make this that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is worth noting. Did I don't think Yamazaki really had much of a hand in writing this film. At least he's I've, not credited. He's not credited. I, the only person I saw for the credits of writing was, was his, his right who was specifically credited for the screenplay. Mm-hmm. So perhaps Yamazaki works better when he writes his own scripts. I could, I could see that. Kind of I could definitely see that. <laughs> I'm pulling it up here because I, I want to, I want to do a fact check because now I'm really curious who like, did Yamazaki write the movie or did he? I don't think he, he wrote it. I don't think he was involved in the writing. Yeah. According so according to the crew listing here, it says director slash effects work was Takashi Yamazaki and screenplay was Sumako Sato. Mm-hmm. There is no other writer. Mm-hmm. So that actually that does bring up a good point. And I think that might be what this film's missing that all the other films we've covered does you know has is is yamazaki wrote did the vfx and directed those films Mm -hmm. that's not to say his wife's a bad writer but (laughs) it's just what you're implying no comment (laughs) but going back to the film rex i'll let you take over i feel like i've been talking a lot so you can already we we talked we just brought up the the kissing and the romance. Yeah. So during the kiss they warp to 
Iskanda, where they they find the planet. It looks absolutely beautiful. But then just suddenly, like Earth. Yes. Prior to its invasion. But then suddenly they are attacked by the Gimalas. Again. Yep. Every time, like I feel like they should just be expecting it now. It's like yeah, I know, right? It's like every we're time getting ready warp. to warp. They'll either attack us before we warp or after we warp. Let's let's prepare. Battle yeah. stations, everybody. Yeah. Always be prepared. It's also worthy to note that during all of this, there's back and forth between Okta and Sumu. Susumu, uh, yeah, Susumu about being a captain and what to do and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah, the cap Okita just gives him words of encouragement. Like, you're doing a fine job out there, kid. There's a lot of pressure in this job. You gotta make the hard choices sometimes. And that's about all his relevance from here on. <laughs> that's been all of his relevance, truth be told. Yeah, he had a little bit of relevance earlier. Well, on. once he has his heart attack, he becomes basically a potato. <laughs> Yeah, that's one way to put it. <laughs> but, like, I wish that didn't happen. Like, I don't know. I just, I feel like it might have been... I think the cool. issue is that it is that the film still tries to kind of be from his perspective at times. Right. Whereas if, if it just shifted, like, pretty much fully to Susumu, I think it would work more. I agree. I agree. Or just not be from Okuta's perspective at all. Yeah. But yeah. I said during their attack, the 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 main like wave cannon on the front of the ship gets blocked by like a like a thing ship? that the Camillas have. I guess it's a ship. It looks like one of their ships. Just sticking itself into the into the barrel of it. Or the muzzle. And so they're essentially what? Nothing. Yeah. Keep going. You ruined my mojo. <laughs> Sorry, when you when you stick it into the muzzle or the barrel, like I'm only thinking of one thing when you're sticking it in the barrel. But yeah, since the ca- since the cannons blocked they don't really have much of a way to defend themselves from... Well, they have their guns on the ship, but that's only going to last them so long. Right. So, Susumu decides that they're going to have to warp somewhere, anywhere. Which could have killed them, but fortunately it doesn't. Thanks to plot convenience. Yep. And they end up behind Iskander, which... Looks like Earth, but in present day. From here, they discover that everything they were told about Iskander, the story they were told, was a lie. Wow. We as the audience already knew. Well, no, this was established a little later. Because first they have to go down to the planets. No, they discover it while they're on the ship, because after... After they see that, like, the planet, the other side of the planet looks like Earth, they all talk together and realize that the capsule, there was nothing really on it outside of the directions and the and the engine schematics. 
So then they're like, maybe it's it was just a story. Maybe the captain made That's it right. Up. Which this really does feel like it's supposed to be a surprise. But again, yeah, even though we were, we were already shown it. Right. We were already told all of this. We knew all of this. Mm-hmm. This was all established an hour and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Hour and 45 minutes ago at this point. Yeah. So it, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, cool. You guys are finally up to date. Yeah. Don't linger on this. And they do linger on it for a little bit. Because they're like, oh, this is a waste of time. We're going to die out here. It's game over, man. It's game over. Game over. But this is where Susumu's like, we're going to go down to the planet and figure this out. We're going to, we're not going to leave here empty handed. We're going to go and gamble. There has to be a reason the aliens didn't either, either gave us the schematics or didn't or if it was a trap why didn't they wait for us to go down there first before attacking which in all fairness one of the crew members does give the idea of maybe it was to leave earth defenseless mm-hmm. which is a really cool idea but it's wrong but it, i think that would have been a really cool idea of like oh wait maybe the like i if it was me maybe i would have wrote Oh, so we've had the answer the whole time. They just tried to get us away from Earth, so we would have to go back to Earth. Mm -hmm. And, like, there would be a war, and we would have to go in and, like, try to save the world. And then we would, and and we would, you know, use our device and, and save the planet. I feel like that would be a little bit more of a narratively like interesting story to have, but I'm sure that's not even remotely close to the adaptation aspect. So I'm sure people would not have liked that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, essentially from here, they deliberate and figure out a way to, to land on the planet and to go to the coordinates of Iskander, where the Iskander coordinates lead. Which you have. Go ahead. No, you. I was just going to say, so when they, so after they like go into the planet, so like they have to do a dive bomb, like maneuver and blow up all the cannons that are around the entryway. Once Mm -hmm. they get down there, it again, really feels like independence day to me because it's, it, it reminded me a lot of like when, uh, David and Will Smith's character, go into the mothership and like fly around right i mean you can also kind of see the avatar influence as well Mm -hmm. in like the design especially with like all the neon blues right of the area but yeah so they go down and like drop down some transport ships and just yeah make their way to the coordinates while fighting off as many of the Gamala Gamilla aliens as they can. Which some people are left behind to like fight and some die here and whatnot, but they're, they keep yeah. moving forward until they finally get to the point where the coordinates They even send are. off the analyzer robot. They do. And the analyzer robot dies and it's not very heartfelt and it's no. just kind of, Oh, he's dead now. I didn't even realize he, he was a robot at the, until this point. 
Right, they don't really establish that. I, I notice in the credits, and in the credits, there's kind of a montage of of like older characters, and there's a shot of the analyzer that seems to be from a scene earlier in the movie before the scene, but I have I don't remember him appearing at any point in the robot form before this scene. I didn't either, and I was kind of you know when I was kind of like oh. He's there. Okay, now he's a robot. Cool. Yeah. So looks like Cap- looks like Alpha yeah. Five. Huh. So deleted scene shot in the credits. <laughs> Final War style. I guess. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the robot dies. A bunch of them die. They're yeah, a lot of people cool. just die. Yeah. It just happens suddenly a lot of it. <laughs> and, you know, it's I mean, it's it's obviously one of those things where it's like the final like everybody's going to slowly get picked off until our yeah. final like our main characters get to the point and then they have to make it back. Right. Right. Which is essentially what happens. They right. find the coordinates and. And it's a crystal that Yuki just decides like. Any good character in the hit film that would come out two years later, Prometheus would do, just decides to touch it. Yeah, that works. Leading to her getting possessed. Though it's less horrifying because it's established very quickly that they're a good character. Yeah. It's... It's... This is like a... This is Iskanda, as she calls herself, which is described as like another manifestation of like the Gamelas hive mind. Right. And it's like the... to sort of be like two sides of the same coin, which I don't entirely understand what it meant I... by that. I guess it's like yin and yang, like the good and the bad. I, I got that, but I just kind of didn't understand it. Like, like, so is this like a separate like race of them? Like, or I don't know. It doesn't really establish too well what Iskanda is and what separates it from. The Gamilas. The only thing is it establishes that they have the anti-nuclear radiation stuff. Yeah, which isn't actually a device. It's just a power that Iskandar has. And from here, Iskanda just goes with them? Yeah. <laughs> like, not, not, like, they unpossess Yuki. And they're and just there? She's just with them, apparently? I'm very confused by that, to be honest. Yeah, same. But, I, I was yeah. pretty confused by it as well. So, now the Isganda is, is with them, the Force is with them, and they have to make it back. They got the, but, the King of the Monsters anti-nuclear... Anti- Titan energy. Yeah. 
<laughs> and so they on their way back they find the like main computer hive mind control thing yeah apparently and so and, the two side characters that were with yuki and and susumu who were still alive just just sacrifice themselves to destroy that which would have been a good thing except it does nothing well it does destroy it does destroy a lot and it ends up it's it ends up like an aggravating the aliens enough oh great we pissed them off yeah that that like okay here's the thing they're like, oh, this is like this is going to take them down, right? Mm-hmm. I but mean, it, it destroyed like it destroyed like a good chunk of their population, right? But they could have just shot those people and got on the battleship Yamato and scooted out of there. Fine. Like I, to me, it's like okay, so you have the hive mind, and. Again, very Independence Day, like, you gotta blow up the hive mind. And if that was their home base, then, like, why are they still functioning? Like, it just, it didn't, it was like, what's the point of doing this? It's just to kill these two characters that we partially know. Yeah. So for me, it was just kind of like, okay, cool, like I guess. Like kind of rings hollow. Right. And so Susumu and, and Yuki get back while these two blow up the hive mind and both die to the, to the aliens. Mm-hmm. And they get on the battleship Yamato and leave. Yep. But instead of like going to Earth, they go to the solar system. I guess they can't warp to Mars again. Mm. <laughs> it was a little weird. It was like, okay, why plot convenience? Like, are they out of warp juice? Like what? I don't know. It, it's a little weird, but this is where the villains appear once again, once again, you know, they're yeah. out of warp. And blowing up the hive mind does nothing. Their fleet still exists, and now they're just angry. Mm-hmm. And this is seeming likely like the big mothership as well that's shown up. And the villain appears on the spaceship to basically say, now you've pissed us off, so now we're just going to kill everybody. Mm-hmm. And they're just going to blow up their own stuff and not really worry about terraforming Earth. They just want to... They want revenge? Yeah. So, like, are they just going to all die and everybody's dead? I guess. See, that's... (sighs) This is such a weird conclusion. So... The battleship Yamato just basically gets pummeled, and all the side characters that did not go down to the planet die, mm-hmm. except for the ones in the bridge. Mm-hmm. I think they say thirteen people survive. I think yeah. is what the final number is because like the Scotty or twelve. Yeah, because the Scotty character, like they, they go over the intercom, and they're like, "How are we holding up?" And he literally basically says. She's still fighting, Captain, and then just dies. And it's like, okay, well, that's the Scotty line. 
Yeah. And then he's dead. Mm-hmm. Cool. The captain also died. The captain died, that's right. He uh he saw heart, Earth and he got, him, got to him. <laughs> that's what happened. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Everybody's dead besides 13 people on this. And they even say, like, get all the the injured people on. And I guess there's only 13 total. And that's minus. So on the on the lifeboat, you have the doctor, the navigational officer and Yuki. So there's only like 10, nine or 10 people that survived besides those three. Mm-hmm. So it's like, who's on there? Like, what? Mm hmm. Um, but during this final battle, they can't use the major weapon, right? Because it's it's blocked. Yeah, unless they want to destroy the ship with it. Right. And during this whole scene, like they, they fight back, but they're also getting pummeled and they have like the alien spaceships. And honestly, the CGI in this final fight is remarkable. Mm-hmm. I thought the CGI during the whole final fight looked great. The The scale was there. It was a very nice final fight. I think... Most of their time probably went to this. And I, I do think this was a very nice, you know, setup. Um, you do have the stereotype of like your main character saying, I'm going to stay here and make sure the ship blows up and I'll yeah. see you guys on the other side. Mm-hmm. Similar to War in Space, actually. <laughs> actually, yeah. Because they both use their grand weapon to blow up the, the spaceship. Right. And it was the captain who did it in both. Right. Or in this case, acting captain. Acting captain, right. Um, This is where, you know, Yuki's like, I don't want to leave you. And, and he's like, well, I don't want you dying. You're the reason that I'm here. Yeah. And they all get on the lifeboat and, and she's knocked out because uh, Which she was, was funny. stunned. It was funny. Um, she was stunned and put on the lifeboat and he's on the ship, like piloting it to its death. Mm-hmm. Um, while everybody's on the, on the lifeboat, they watch as the battleship Yamato collides with the alien mothership and uses its grand weapon. And yeah. Blows and during up. this, he sees like a vision of like a few of the people that died earlier in the film. Which made, been... think, which made me think of Gundam in like a sort of like new type moment where like it's kind of this thing that happens in Gundam where sometimes you'll see like a vision of a character who's died if they're like a type of being called a new type, which is like an evolved human. So okay. I kind of wonder if I kind of wonder if the original Yamato inspired that in Gundam. Huh. Interesting. It could have been. So, following this, we get another time jump. Mm-hmm. Yes. To Earth being green with Yuki. And, and she has her child. Which. When did that happen? Yeah, that was something I was going to say. Is that. Is it meant to be Susumu's? Like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not like one to like judge, but like, I don't think they had time to 
engage in. Even if they did, the movie did not establish that. Nope, not at all. So, yeah, I was like, okay, I guess this somehow happened. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get the end credits, which shows with montages a, with a song titled "Love Lives" from Steven Tyler of all people. <laughs> yes, he he wrote and performed it, and Steven Tyler's the main singer for Aerosmith. Anybody who doesn't yeah. know, I, I I was surprised to hear this because I'm like, this song sounds like something you'd hear from like Armageddon. And then I looked it up and I realized it was from the guy from like the singer of Aerosmith. And I'm like, what? Yeah. Yeah. And it's got a similar <laughs> flow to an Aerosmith song, to be honest. It, it does have that flow. I noticed. Yeah. I was like, oh, that sounds that sounds like on on rec- like track for him. Yeah. So with that, we get, you know, the credits and then it's over. Mm-hmm. There's like one other shot of like the uh that's Being right. Nice and beautiful, but with craters from the war. And with also, that, good it's luck to humanity rebuilding everything. I that is true. Like how how are they <laughs> going to do that? Like they have no. Everything's I guess they got terraformed, and there's like no trees. Magic. <laughs> Where are they going to get all the resources outside of like the underground bases they still have? <laughs> the stuff that's been buried that people were trying to uh, salvage. Yeah. Good luck. So with that, we've we've reached the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I have two more notes here. Okay. Um, the first one was up until Space Battleship Yamato, Yamazaki had shot all of his movies on film. Mm-hmm. And Space Battleship Yamato was the first time Yamazaki used digital. Now, it wasn't all shot on digital. It's mostly shot on film, but there were certain scenes that had to be shot on digital because of the CGI. Right. Yeah. Um, which I thought was interesting. And then Yamazaki also encouraged the actors to not watch the original show because he wanted them uh. to give original performances that weren't like derivative of the original show. I mean, Takia Kimura, that was kind of impossible with him because he was already, like, he grew up with Space Battleship Yamato. Right, but for the people who hadn't watched it... He even apparently played Susumu, like a parody version of Susumu, prior to being cast in this film. Right, and there were two voice actors in this that also were in the original show. The one who voiced uh, the analyzer and Desla, yeah, both and were also, in the original. And show. also, apparently, the narrator, I think, was in the yes. original, and yes. possibly the voice of Iskanda may have also voiced her equivalent character in the anime. Yes, I have all those notes here. So whenever we're done and go to that we will i will talk about that more so yeah that's that's all of my (laughs) yeah a little little more negative than normal for a Mm. yamazaki episode Mm. so 
Rex, do you have any final production notes or, or notes on the film that you want to talk about? Um, not particularly, no. Okay. So if you're okay with it, I'm going to go ahead and transition into the cast, the crew and cast. Feel free. And then we'll wrap up with our typical Yamazaki month stuff. Um, I'm not going to list off what Takashi Yamazaki has done because this month has been all like about that, about <laughs> that. So if you want to know what other movies he's directed, done the They're VFX for it. selection, right? Um, the screenplay was done by Sato Shimako, uh, as, as mentioned, mm-hmm. she married Takashi Yamazaki in 2012. They, uh, she worked on Echo Echo Azarak, Wizard of Darkness. She was, she did the story and directed that film. She also did the screenplay and directed the sequel, Echo Echo Azarak 2, Birth of the Wizard. She worked on the idol, Norman England's film, along Ooh. with Takashi Yamazaki. They both worked on that. And apparently that's where they met. But I also read somewhere else that they met on met in school mm-hmm. um i believe they also both momentarily like met each other on parasite eve and then she directed k20 the fiend of 20 faces mm-hmm. you had uh nobuhiro azuma the producer who worked on itchy and retribution uh, retribution Chikahiro Ando, another producer who worked on the Always Trilogy, Parasite Eve, Juvenile Returner, K-20, The Fiend of 20 Faces. Executive producer Shuji Abe, who worked on K-20, The Fiend with 20 Faces, the Always Sunset on 3rd Street Trilogy, containing, and I I haven't listed off the titles, so I'll list them off here, Uh, Always Sunset on 3rd Street, Always Sunset on 3rd Street 2, and Always Sunset on 3rd Street 64. Juvenile Returner, Parasite Eve, The Eternal Zero, A Man Called Pirates, The Great War of Archimedes, Dragon Quest, Your Story, and Lupin Third, The First. And then you had uh, Naoki Sato, the composer of the Always Trilogy, K20, The Eternal Zero, Stand By Me, Doraemon, Part 1 and Part 2. Parasite Part 1 and Part 2, Assassination Classroom, and Assassination Classroom Graduation, A Man Called Pirate, The Great War of Archimedes, Dragon Quest Your Story, and Ghost Book. And going on to the cast and crew, Takiyuya Kimura, Takiyua? Takiyua Kimura, Takiyua. who played Susumi Kodai, was also in Blade of the Immortal. Yes, playing Manji in that movie. Mm-hmm. Messiah Kuroki. Kuro- yeah, Kuroki. Kuroki. Uh, played Yuki Mor- Mori, who was in Assault Girls, Lupin the Third, One Miss Call 3 Final, and uh, True Horror Stories. Mm-hmm. Toshihiro... I mean, the interesting thing with her in One Miss Call 3 is that in that movie... She's like one of them. I believe she's one of the main characters and co-stars with like the main girl in the Always Sunset trilogy. Ooh, that's really cool. And another thing that I actually neglected to mention earlier was that 
her character in this film, Yuki Mori, was originally supposed to be played by Erika Sawajiri. Right. Which I don't think she had any tokusatsu credits. I don't remember. No. She doesn't even act anymore after her arrest. Oof. <laughs> uh, um, the, so we have Toshihiro Yanagiba, who played Shiro Sanada, who was in Scary True Story Summer Special. And here's our connection. Ring, Ring the final chapter. The final chapter. Yes. Yes. You had Naoto Ogato, who played Daisuke uh, Shima, who was in Shoplifters in Fukushima 50. Toshiyuki Nishida, who played Hikozoiman Tokugawa, who was in What to Do with the Dead Kaiju and Love and Peace. Hiroyuki Ikiyuchi 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 who played Hajami Saito who was in Space Travelers Sadako DX Oh Gunky. he was that guy mm-hmm. like, Gunkyu War Pigeon and Love Death you also had Toshihiro Yashiba who played Yasuo Nabuo that was in also What to Do with a Dead Kaiju. Mm-hmm. Kazuki Namioka, who played Saburu Kato, that was in L Change the World, Hell Driver, Zebraman 2 Attack on Zebra City, Why Don't You Play in Hell, Lion Maru G, Kamen Rider Den O, Kamen Rider Gaim, plus the specials, mm-hmm. Love yeah. and Peace, in a tokusatsu show called Gensh- Gen- Gensation Justeries. Oh, Justerizers. Justerizers, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I noticed that his like his character's group in this film, like pretty much all of them, all of those actors, like the Black Tiger Squad, all of them were had been in some sort of common writer media. <laughs> I love that. Um, here's the one that you w- loved, I think. No, no, maybe. Uh Takuyumi Saiton. Takumi Saito. Saito. You butchered that name horribly. <laughs> Oof. Who played Yamamoto. Mm-hmm. That was in Kabuto Beetle, The Rug Cop, 20th Century Boys 3, Final, Robo Geisha, Vampire Girl vs. Frankenstein Girl, Shin Godzilla, Cube, Shin Ultraman, Shin Kamen Rider, and Rex, what's the television show he was in? Mm-hmm. I feel it? like you... I feel like you know it. Takumi Saito. Was what was he in Ring or something? Oh, oh no, he was in Garo. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That's right. You told me about that once. I did. He played a minor character in like one, one or two scenes. You should have remembered that. I'm sorry, man. I ju- I barely remember his character at all. I see. Well, you're a fake fan. Hey, it's been like two years. It's been a year. Maybe. No, it's been two years since I saw Gara. I'm moving on. Takihiro Mura. Mirai? Mira. Mira, who played Fruya, was in Kamen Rider Black Sun, The Great yes. Yokai War 2 Guardians, 
Shin Godzilla, Attack on Titan, the movie part one and part two, and the Eternal Zero. Mm-hmm. Sutomu Yamazaki, who played Juzo Okata, was in Akira Kurosawa's High and Low, Akira Kurosawa's Kagemusha, and was in Takashi Miike's As the Gods Will and Blade of the Immortal. Kensuke Awada, who played Kenjiro Ota, was in Tomie Unlimited and The Eternal Zero. Miyu Sawai, who played Hagishida, was in Kamen Rider Wizard, Kamen Rider Amazons, Kamen Rider X-Aid. Kishiryu Sentai Ryu Soldier, Kamen Rider W, Kamen Rider, Kamen Rider Decade Movie Special. Did voice work for GR Giant Robo, the OVA, and was in Scary True Stories Special. Shinji Susumi, who played Maruo Kodai, was in One Miss Call, The Always Sunset on Thursday Trilogy, yes. Why Don't You Play in My Hell, man. My man. <laughs> Fueled the Man They Call Pirate, Gintama 2, and the miniseries, and Super Salaryman Saini Shi, which is a television show about a superhero that's a salaryman. Mm-hmm. Isayo Hashizumi, who played Heikaru Todo, was in The Eternal Zero and The Great War of Archimedes. Mm-hmm. Kenichi Ogatu played was the voice actor for Analyzer that was in Space Battleship Yamato, the original anime, the X-Bomber show, the anime, the Japanese dub, and did various mecha shows like Mazinger and whatnot. Yes. And then you had Masayoto Ibu, who was Dessler, the voice actor, who was in Sukiban Deka, the 1987 show, mm-hmm. Godzilla vs. Megaguirus, on Miyuji 2, Azumi. And Godzilla Final Wars. Yes. As the Exilian Az- general that gets killed. Rest in peace. Azumi 2, Death or Love, Goemon, the Star Ultraman. He played Jonius in the Star Ultraman. Did you know that? Oh, fancy that. And then he was Dessler in Space Battleship Yamato, the original show. Yeah. The I don't have these written down, but the narrator also did some narration for Common Rider 71, if I remember correctly. Yeah, um, there was one other actor or act there were two other actors in this that had I think it's the voice of Iskander was yes. in like one episode of Common Rider. Yes. And there's one other actor who might have been in it too, but I don't remember. And that's all I have for the cast and crew. Mm-hmm. I mean, I read somewhere that apparently Kazuki Kitamura and like Kenta Suga and like Yoji Tanaka, who are in various other Yamazaki films, may have had some small role in here somewhere, but I didn't see them in the film. So I don't know if that's actually true. <laughs> right. Um, so with that, we've kind of hit the end of this. Um, I did notice I, I forgot to mention one thing about the movie, and that's I wish we could have seen the crew land on Earth and like have that reaction. Mm-hmm. But then again, I, I guess this movie is no longer like the movie is firmly established that it's going to be Susuma's point Susuma's of view, story, even though it's yeah. been 
it's jump been jumping around like crazy, and we sh- see right. his his kid. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, I I don't know. This movie is a narrative mess. Um. Yeah, it's definitely like the messiest of Yamazaki's films, I'd say. Right. So with that, we just have a handful of things left we got to do. And that's just basically covering all of the other stuff we've talked about. Mm-hmm. So first, why don't we do our ranking of the movies? And mm-hmm. then we're going to bring up how this makes us excited for Godzilla Minus One or how this concerns us for Godzilla Minus One. And mm-hmm. then we'll just wrap it up. So, Rex, why don't you start us off with your ranking? Okay. Do do you want my full Yamazaki ranking or just my ranking of the four? Let's let's start with the bottom. What goes at the bottom? No, but like, do you want my full ranking? Oh, we're gonna do that after. We'll we'll do the ones we've covered, and then I want you to include. Um, because you've also make, seen. Wouldn't it make more sense to do yours first then? No, well, what we're gonna start with both of our bottoms and oh, go up, right. okay. and then we're gonna switch to you giving your full opinion with the right. two always sunset okay. movies. Oh wait, yep, 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 yep. Kind of like what we did last time. So at number four, I, I'd say I'd, I'm gonna have to put Space Battleship Yamato. Right. Same here. Um, go ahead and give your reasoning. I just think this it's kind of just the messiest script of the movie. And yeah, I, I don't think it's it's a fun movie. I, I think it's a good movie overall. I just don't think anything here is as strong as Yamazaki's previous films. It doesn't have the fun characters that returner had i don't think anyone here is like bad i just don't think they're as enjoyable to watch as the characters in returner and i think the script and overall direction in parasite in the parasite duology is overall stronger the one thing this film i guess has is that there's more Compared to the Parasite duology, there's more visual spectacle going on. It's it's a bit more action-packed than, say, the first Parasite, which was a bit, which took its time a bit more. But at the same time, I kind of prefer a movie to take its time with things and have, like, proper pacing rather than just be, like, leading on to each action sequence. Right. Whereas I felt like I wasn't, Maybe it's just because I'm not a big, huge fan of, like, space action. Like, I find, like, the starship battles in Star Wars to be the least interesting part of, like, the original film. So, bit of my bias, but maybe that also impacted my ranking. Gotcha. See, I... What's funny is, when I... Because this is my second time watching the movie. I saw it. This was one of the first movies I actually watched. It was your what? This is my first time. Okay. Okay. So 
when I watched this initially, I watched this probably two years ago. This was one of the first movies I watched when I expanded my tokusatsu from just kaiju to tokusatsu in general. Um, And I remember really liking it. I remember thinking, man, this was actually a good Japanese Star Trek movie. Mm -hmm. Um, And what's weird is up until we did this recording, I had this a little higher on my list. But as we broke it down, I'll be honest, my mind changed during this recording. (laughs) This really and honestly just didn't do it for me. This this movie kind of like breaking yeah. it down and talking it over like the narrative like this is a really messy movie. I um, don't think it's bad. I think the overall filmmaking here is pretty good. I like a lot of the production design of this movie. And I think overall the script it's messy but it's not terrible. Right. That's a, so this movie is visually beautiful. Mm-hmm. The movie gets the visuals right. The CGI is done right. I think the set the 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 production design's good. I enjoy the actors and what chemistry we have is really good. Mm-hmm. But the script is not up to, up par, to par with everything else. Yeah. Exactly. And that's that's my biggest problem is the script just does not it, it it's very obvious Yamazaki did not write this <laughs> um i i was kind of surprised when we as we were talking through this it was like man there's a lot of script problems oh wait a minute this isn't a Yamazaki script mm-hmm. like i was i was kind of surprised that it was that obvious yeah um, this is this is a great example of like a, a director that does best when he has his own scripts that right. he does, um, which that I've learned something about Yamazaki because of this, mm-hmm. and I just there's a lot this script has to you know has to be desired, and I mean just I mean beyond that my my typical complaint of the time just kind of jumps around. Right. Um, those two things are really my biggest complaints, but the story in the script is what really knocks this movie down to this, this bottom. It just doesn't, it, it, the other three movies have way more interesting stories. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think the story you, itself, like, the actual like premise of the story and what's going on is interesting. I just don't think the script tells it in the most yes. interesting way. Yes. The script is bloated with a lot of nothing and has yeah. a narrative. It's it's not focused enough, I think. Yes. Yes. It kind of suffers from the King of the Monster syndrome where it's it's jumping around and trying to cover so much and and what time right. it has that right it falls short. Not not to the extent of King of the Monsters <laughs> like I'm not I'm not going to say that but this movie does suffer from that. Mm-hmm. Um it's not as bad as Godzilla versus Kong but you but know that's bottom of the barrel. That's bottom of the barrel, and I kind of had to shoehorn that in here because I have not complained about it yet. I know, so, right? 
I, Finally, I was wondering when that was going to happen. Yeah, I, I had to I had to complain, and we've already had our ring connection, and we had the Shin Ultraman Two connection, so we're we're good. But no, I I really and honestly think that this movie has a lot of potential, mm-hmm. but it could use a major narrative change. Right. I think you could get rid of a lot of this narrative and rewrite it, and it would be a lot better. Yeah. So from this point on, I think we know each other's. So, I mean, we'll just go over it briefly and then we'll get to your overall ranking. So at your number three, Rex, what do you have? So like last time, I've got Parasite Part 2. So what does Parasite Part 2 do better than Space Battleship Yamato? It is a sensible script. It is a more okay. sensible script. Okay. That and and is also visually I, I think just like that last sequence ah, of the film yes. is really just really cool visually. Yes. For me, my number three is Returner. Um I feel like Returner's just a better version of, of Yamato's story. Um not on on as as big of a scale, like it's not as grand. It's a lot more personalized and, and tiny. But what Returner does is exactly what Space Battleship Yamato should have done. Yes, it, Returner is a lot more focused, as particularly on its two lead characters. Right, and your three Yamato is trying to be an ensemble, and that just ends up not working. Right. And Returner has your two side characters. You have uh, Xi, Z, mm-hmm. Zhe, Zhe, and you have uh, your villain. And yeah. both of those two characters, I think Zhe is, Zhe is right. And Zhe, I would say, is the best character in that movie. So you could do four characters. And I said you should have uh, Shimu or uh, Suma. Kodai, you should have Kodai, Yuki, uh, Sonata, and I, I guess you could throw Okta in there. And there's your four main characters. I would switch out Sonata for Shima, but otherwise I agree. Oh, that's hmm. right, because Shima's the, the better, yeah, the navigational officer. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. Actually, I would I would adjust that and, and do that. And there you've got your your four member, like your four main characters, and then you've got those side characters that are kind of there, but they're not. It's obvious Battleship Yamato is trying to be like Star Trek, and that would work if those characters were pre-established, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe if I watched the anime, I would be able to understand and know these characters better. So maybe that's Mm -hmm. a problem on my end, but I feel like Star Trek did a better job at that ensemble because it didn't focus on all of these different characters. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I I just think Returner 
I, it's an original version of this script, and I think it does do better. Something we talked about pre-cast, um, Rex, was how Returners actually Yamazaki's only original movie. Yeah, as far as we can tell, at least. Because Juvenile was based off of Doraemon. He did two Doraemon movies. The um, Always Sunset trilogy is based on a manga. The uh, Ballad movie is based off of a Shinshan uh, uh, story. Godzilla Minus One's a Godzilla sequel. Ghost Book is based off of a manga, correct? Yeah, I believe so. Uh, the man call, A Man Called Pirate and Great War of Archimedes and Eternal Zero are all based off of books. Um, Dragon Quest, Your Story, and Lupin the First are adaptations anime of adaptation. anime. Um, is that all? Uh, and then Destiny, I think Destiny might be original. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Battleship Yamato is is a live uh, action anime adaptation. And so is both Parasites. Yes. And with well, that, like to manga, to right, right. So yeah, this Returner was was Yamazaki's only original movie that we know, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of interesting. But like, well, like I said, I just mentioned in that conversation that film is still rather derivative of other films. Right, right, and it's you could argue a Matrix. Right. So I guess that begs the question: Is Yamazaki a good director? that requires other people's ideas to execute good direction or is he a good creator just not originaled i don't know it from what from what we've seen it seems he does he wears his inspirations on his sleeves that that has been was made very clear with like Returner, and from what you've told me about, like Juvenile being apparently based on Dore, pretty much so close to Doraemon that he asked the creators for like permission as, hey, is this okay if I make this? It, it sounds like he definitely wears his inspirations on his sleeves, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing given the quality of his scripts generally. Mm hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> and if anybody can correct me on Destiny, the tale of Kakamura, if yes, that's... please in, let us know. Yes, I, I, I'm, I'd be genu- genuinely curious if, if that's an adaptation of a manga or an anime or a remake, or if that's like an original story. I couldn't locate any info. But yeah, that's... I, I would put Returner at number three. Mm-hmm. And then your number two, Rex... Is Returner. And why is Returner better than and than Battleship Yamato and Parasite Two? It's just fun. I really like Takashi Kaneshiro and and Suzuki's like just I like their dynamic. And Mizuguchi is a really fun villain as well. I think he's probably the most memorable villain out of all of Yamazaki's films we've seen. I would agree. That's I would agree with that. I think that is he is the most memorable villain. Because like Go Goki was it from Parasite Goki or Geki? Uh, uh, He's fine, 
he's just not as good. And, you know, the Desla in Yamato is underdeveloped, frankly. Right. Desla's underdeveloped and it's Goto. Goto. That's it. Goto. Yes. Right. Um, Goto's the villain of the second one. Uh, a is the villain of the first one, I guess. The first one doesn't really have an exact villain. Right, yeah. Um, So, yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree that uh, the villain from Returner is, is his most memorable villain from what we've covered. Mm-hmm. Uh, for my number two, I would put Parasite Part 2. Mm-hmm. Um, you already mentioned the visuals. The visuals for that final fight out, like, beat anything in battleship Yamato. Right. Um, and I just like that whole scene right there just sells it for me. Um, and that's a little more memorable. I said this in the last recording returners fun, but there's not really a scene that's memorable. There's not like that standout scene of like, Oh, this is amazing. Sure. Um, sure. I'll agree with you there. Whereas Parasite Part 2 has that in that final fight. Um, and the visuals there and the CGI is, is, is amazing. Um, and the score and certain scenes like the intercut of the, of the middle part between City Hall and Tamiya. Like amazing. Right. Um, that whole sequence actually is a standout scene from Parasite Part 2 that I forgot to mention as well that I really like. So like those two scenes in particular and the score and the visual effects in that final fight, all just kind of bump that up for me up to that number two spot. Mm-hmm. Um, more so than, than battleship Yamato's visuals. And it's more memorable than both battleship Yamato and returner, but returner is a better take on the story of battleship Yamato's story. And for our number ones, Parasite Part, part one. one. Honestly, like Parasite Part One is is a perfect story. It's just me. a it's just a strong script. Yes, that that it it's a strong script. It's a well directed film. It's just really solid all around. The VFX are solid. Um, the only complaint I can think of is some of the animations a little choppy. And the time frame, the the time problem of all of Yamazaki's films are there. Right. So before we get into the Godzilla minus one section, Rex, you've also seen Always Sunset on Third Street and Always Sunset on Third Street 2. So yes. briefly, can you rank these four that we've just talked about with those two as well? Of course. So... The first Always Sunset film, I think I would put that probably... I think I'll just put it... I want to say just above Returner, I think. So that would be at your number three spot? Number two. Yeah, currently number two. Okay. I I just it's not my typical cup of tea, but it's a really funny and sweet film. It's a bit too long 
for my liking, which is why it's not number one or anything. But it it establishes like all of our characters. All of our characters are pretty well developed and likable, funny, mm-hmm. and you know it it's it gets you invested in all the characters, which really pays off in Always Sunset Two, which I goes straight to number one. Okay, <laughs> that film goes straight to number one, even just ignoring that Godzilla scene at the beginning that I love Always Sunset 2. That is that is Yamazaki's best film by far. I emotional roller coaster of a movie, honestly. Okay. It does have the issue of being too long, which is like the one consistent issue in like a few of Yamazaki's films I've noticed is that I feel like Yamato's too long both Always Sunset films are a little too long. I think it was Parasite Part 2 I thought was a bit too long. Yes, the opening is a little slow. Mm-hmm. But like, otherwise, I love Always Sunset 2. It's, br- it's genuinely a brilliant film that... You know, two massive emotional gut punches, and then one of the most satisfying endings. <laughs> Okay, interesting. So, with that, we are concluding Yamazaki Month. And the one thing, we we did this in celebration and in preparation for Godzilla Minus One. Yes. Now, from Space Battleship Yamato, what are you excited for? in terms of Godzilla minus one, like what hope does this film give you? And then is there any concerns you have for the film now after watching Battleship Yamato? Well, I, I, it definitely, this film definitely made me realize how seemingly important it is that Yamazaki is writing the script. And it makes me very thankful that we know for a fact that Yamazaki is writing has written the script for minus one. Right. And that, that was, that's that was my be, biggest takeaway from this. I think that was what I was going to say as well is what this movie has taught me is Yamazaki needs to write his own films and yes. we, he's writing minus one, which just gives me all the more hope and battleship Yamato proved to me that he can do scale, right? Yes. That, that is actually a really good point as well. So I'm I mean, and I've, always sunset too also kind of proof that true. But in <laughs> terms of what we've seen, um, like this just screams like he can do large. And we've already seen that in the trailer. I believe I even highlighted in our, our in our bonus how when he's walking, the ground is popping up. Yeah. Like that's a very nice detail to see. And I, for one, think that we've already seen that he can do scale in the trailer. And just seeing how he made Space Battleship Yamato this huge, huge thing, and it felt huge, I feel like we're going to see that too with Godzilla Minus One. Granted, Godzilla's going to be like 50 meters tall, but that's still big enough to have that scale, mm-hmm. which is great. And I mean, this is set in like... Post-war Japan, so the buildings aren't exactly going to be 100 meters tall. Correct. 
So with that being said, like I'm, I feel like the CGI, of course, is going to look great. I feel like we know that for a fact. I mean, from um, what we've seen, like it's been 13 years since like Yamato, and you can tell there's been a lot of improvement very clearly in right. the minus one teaser. Right. So like I feel like it's 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 I feel like it's safe to say visually this film's gonna be very beautiful. Mm-hmm. VFX wise, this movie's gonna look amazing. Mm-hmm. The scale is gonna be present. The story is gonna be very solid. Mm-hmm. And we oh, are gonna have gonna be a love plot. There's gonna <laughs> be a love plot. Um, because that is something commonly found in all of Yamazaki's films. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be a sacrifice. Something Somebody's going to make a sacrifice because in Returner, yeah. it was, it was, uh, what's her name? Millie. It was Millie who sacrificed, uh, you know, staying with our main character to go back to her. I and mean, she didn't really have a choice in that, to be fair. True. Um, but then she came back to pr- that time period to save him. Mm-hmm. Um, you saw in Space Battleship Yamato, Susumu uh, sacrifices himself in the end. Mm-hmm. And Parasite derived from the farewell to farewell to Space Battleship Yamato's ending. To be fair, right? Um, in Parasite Part One. Your main character, Shinichi, kind of sacrificed revealing himself to his girlfriend mm-hmm. towards the end there. Um, like revealing his secret that he was hiding, right? Mm-hmm. And then much, but sure. <laughs> and and then in Parasite Part Two, uh Migi Migi sa- tries sacrificing himself. Or I guess correct. does really fully since the ending. <laughs> So clearly I feel like there's going to be a romance plot and there's going to have to be like this moral debate, this dilemma, this sacrifice that somebody's I mean, going to have to give. I the romance plot is, ab- is basically a definite when you consider like literally every film I've seen from Yamazaki, Bar Returner has a romance element, a very pronounced Well, even, even then Returner does have that like brotherly sister love. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's going to be obvious that the main character is going to have a relationship that directly ties into their motives. Mm-hmm. Sure. So, I mean, honestly, I'm really happy we've done this because now I feel like I have a better understanding of what this means when it comes to a Yamazaki Godzilla movie. Right. And there is still one Yamazaki film we haven't talked about. Granted, it's not well, kaiju. Well, right, but at least available in the states. Like our from our list of like what we can and can't cover, there is still right. one movie we haven't talked about, um, and I haven't seen it yet, which is the Great War of Archimedes. Um, I'm curious to see. I, I see. So, unfortunately, that one's not kaiju. And it's not Tokusatsu, so technically speaking, it wouldn't be covered on our main episode. So, right. I mean, maybe we'll cover it. We'll see. Um, hmm. 
I but one thing's for certain, I'm gonna watch that before uh minus one comes out so we can at least mm-hmm. so at least I can have a better I idea. need to watch Always Sunset Free. Yeah, you need to watch that. Um I'd love to watch uh, Ghost Book. Yeah. Since that was his most recent one before minus one, and that's kinda I'd also like we... to see Juvenile too. Given Likewise. That's Likewise. I guess I could watch Stand By Me Doraemon if I found a way to use Netflix. And Stand By Me Doraemon too. Right. So maybe. We'll see. Um But no, I this this has given like this was an eye opener for me to be honest. Oh yeah. Um, and I, I can't wait to see what minus one gives us now because this this gives us a lot, truth be told. There's there's a lot from this. Um and I think this has made me more excited. Oh yeah, I, I, I fully agree. <laughs> I mean the fact of the matter is and pr- part of like the reason I watched the Always Sunset trilogy in was partially in preparation for this month because I'm like, hey, we're doing this. I may as well watch those movies while I'm at it. And you know, that led me to experiencing a really great drama film that has kind of led me into watching a bunch more drama films. <laughs> so, I mean, with that, like, if anybody who's listening has not watched the films we've covered, go watch them. Yes. Even though we did complain a lot about this film. It's still a I good s- movie. It's still a good movie. And I think, honestly, I, I said this, um, we we did the Kaiju Conversation live episode for, for August recently. It's a live stream. And I told Michael, my guest, I said, Michael, I would say go watch every Yamazaki film that's available stateside. Mm-hmm. Returner. Space Battleship Yamato, Parasite Part 1, Parasite Part 2. I can't recommend the great, the great War of Archimedes, but I feel like it's written and directed in VFX by Yamazaki, so I feel like right. no matter what, it's going to be a solid film. Um, I think every Godzilla fan should watch these. And I, I'm not not to toot my own horn, but honestly, I feel like listening to these episodes, you can kind of – I feel like you can pick up a bit of what Yamazaki does. I feel like we've we've broken these down pretty well. One thing I didn't mention that I'm a little – like that kind of is – it's a little red flag for Godzilla Minus One. I think it's going to kind of time jump a little bit too much. I think it's going to be – Quite literally, every movie that we've covered, I've said, oh, this has a time-jumping issue where it doesn't establish the time. I mean, I think you'll probably have more of an issue with it than I will. So Right. <laughs> but even then, like, that's happened in all of these. And that's not a huge... Like, I'm going to complain about it more, but that's still not an issue for me. It's like, it's not a huge issue. Complaint. It is. And it it all it does is it kind of like throws me off a bit. It doesn't ruin anything. It just kind of throws me off. Where I'm kind of like, okay, what what's going on? Why are we here? Mm-hmm. How long have we been here? So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean that I I feel like that's all but guaranteed to be a problem, right? Um, but I'm fine with that. I'm I'm honestly fine with that. If if that is the one problem that this movie is going to give me. 
That's better than everything we've had in the last almost 20 years. <laughs> so no matter what, I'm I'm not going to be upset by this. Mm-hmm. And I can't wait to see this film now, knowing what I know now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm pretty much all in agreement there. I'm I'm really excited for minus one. And this month has honestly just made me more excited for it. Likewise. So I guess it's good that we ended up doing this. Yeah. <laughs> well, so is- this has ended up this has ended up being the longest Yamazaki episode. Um yeah. kind God of like a me. grand bow for for this month. God help me. <laughs> so I don't want to overbloat this episode, so why don't we go ahead and do the final part of these episodes, and that's letting the listeners know where they can find us at. So, Rex, why don't you start us off? Well, dear listeners, you can find me on YouTube, at Rexino, on Twitter, at Rex underscore Xenomorph, and on Instagram, Rex underscore Xeno. And if you want to check out some of my writing, go take a look at the Tokusatsu Network. And as for me, hi, my name's Elijah. You can find me on YouTube at ET13Productions, on Twitter at ET13Productions, or on Instagram at ET13Productions. If you want to find my personal socials, it's not difficult, but I'm not going to link them here. As for the podcast, don't forget to rate us on iTunes. That boosts our ratings and helps us get recommended to more people just like you. We have had two reviews um, but no, no like statements, no comments, nothing, just two five stars. We're now sitting at a 3.2. Thank you to the people who did that. Um, just keep them coming. It's highly appreciated. And I feel like these episodes are worth more than a 3.2. If you don't have an Apple device, which I don't blame you, I don't. That's actually a lie. Maybe that's why we're at a 3.2 is I keep lying about not yeah, using man. an Apple device. But you can rate us on Spotify now. So for the 32 people, for all those five stars, if you want to hop on the Spotify, leave us a five star there. It'd be highly appreciated. Or if you're listening on Spotify, hop on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five star review. You don't even really need an Apple device. You just need to go to applepodcast.com and look us up and then you can leave a five star. You'll just have to like sign into an Apple like account. If you want to stay up to date with all things Kaiju Conversation related, you can follow us on Twitter X K-A-I-J-U underscore C-O-N-V-E-R-S. If you don't have Twitter, you can follow us on Instagram or like us on Facebook at the same handle. If you're like me before podcasting and you don't have any social media, lucky you, you can email us at kaijuconversation at gmail.com, all lowercase, all one word, you know the drill. And as always, we'll read your reviews on air for everyone to hear. We also have a Teespring store. Eventually, we'll have original artwork on there. But until then, you can sport our awesome logo on a T-shirt or maybe even a coffee mug. If you'd like to chat with us, check out our Discord server full of others that have similar interests to you. Recently, there was a conversation in the chat room about... The director of the new Blazar episode. So it's it's a great community full of great people, a lot of great conversations. 
Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit the bell so you can be notified anytime we upload a video. We sometimes post exclusive to the channel like bloopers for episodes or minisodes talking about news or other subjects. We also do live streams. We do monthly live streams in a show called Kaiju Conversation Live where I hop on with one guest and we chat for however long it lasts. We also have an interview with Mechagodzilla designer Jared Kurchevsky on the channel. I definitely butchered his name, and I apologize for that, but we do have that on the channel if you want to check it out. A huge thanks to Rex for editing all of these episodes and all the other content we upload. His links can be found in the description below. Yes. Along with Rex, we'd like to give a huge thanks and shout out to Danny DeManna of the Godzilla Novelization Project for his amazing vocals on our theme song. You can support him by following him on Twitter at Danzilla93 underscore GNP or visit his website, GodzillaNovelizationProject.com. And a huge thanks to Grattan Conwell from the podcast Giant Monster BS for composing the music for our theme song. You can support him by following the podcast on Twitter at GiantMonsterBS or on any podcast platform under the name GiantMonsterBS. And with that, we're going to wrap things up here. So thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you for tuning in to Yamazaki Month. And we cannot wait to enjoy Godzilla Minus One with all of you coming December 1st, or if you're in Japan, November 3rd of this year. So stay tuned. We will definitely cover that movie because we are not going to miss that for the world. (laughs) So thank you guys so much. And as always, please remember, life's too short to not talk big. Bye, guys. Bye. We are set, we are in debt, there's nothing to sweat. Life's too short now, baby. Just a not too big now, baby. Conversation. His name's Elijah, baby. And also Rex now, baby. We love those kaiju, baby. And you will too now.